Welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast, where we'll always say yep to any new Jordan Peele content. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Ghost Collective and your podcast host. With our teen horror season just wrapped up and one of the biggest genre releases hitting cinemas in the UK today, of course, we're back here covering Jordan Peele's newest film, Nope, which is out in cinemas in the US already and has finally come to the UK screens. Now, you might be surprised by the length of this episode. I was not expecting to record for two and a half hours about Nope. However, without giving anything away, this film totally deserves the lengthy, chunky bonus episode, but also, but in all honesty, could have recorded for longer even. Joining me in this bonus episode is writer and actor Isaura Barber-Brown, and we go into detail about Nope. The first 20 or so minutes of the episode are going to be spoiler-free, and I cannot stress enough how much I would recommend people to go into Nope as blind as possible. So if you're still listening, literally stop it right now. Hit stop, return later. If you do remain unconvinced and need a little bit of context, we walk around on eggshells around what actually happens in the film in order to be able to talk about it without spoiling anything. And after about the 20-25 minute mark, there is a very clear spoiler separation. So you will have time to exit the episode if you don't want to be spoiled. But if you do watch Nope this weekend and come out with as many questions as Azora and I did, I hope you enjoy this episode. And do let us know what you think of the film. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Final Ghost UK. And you can find bonus episodes that we record, especially for our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash The Final Girls. Consider supporting us there if you enjoy this episode and want to continue listening to our coverage of new releases, which usually will live exclusively on the Patreon. And we've got a mini-series on the new Fenchik Shamini going on on the Patreon while we are on hiatus in between, se- in between seasons on the main feed. With all that said, enjoy our extensive deep dive into Jordan Peele's Nope. So, welcome back, Asara. How are you I'm doing? Good. Thanks for having me back. It's been, a, it's been a while since we talked about a new film. Yes. And it's also been a while since we've had a Jordan Peele film to talk about. It has been. When did when did us come out? Well, it's been two minutes, less than one minute into this recording, and you've already completely called me out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> What's the date and time? <laughs> That's <laughs> game out. It was. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but it has been a while. I guess you know. Um, well, I guess he's that kind of filmmaker anyway. Well, I guess you're not expecting a film all the time. It feels like mm. he's probably an, a, a director that's going to take a couple of years between, at least between films. 
Um, but yeah, it has been a long time since it's been a new film, which is exciting. We got to see it together as well, which is always nice. Um, get to experience it for the first time together. <laughs> yes, and also on a big ass screen, which on I think really you know, ginormous screen, yeah, which is perfect. Which which we'll get to, I'm sure, <laughs> in a little bit. But it's Jordan Peele's third feature, which mm-hmm. seems. It does seem crazy that it um that it's only been three films and his name is such a massive draw with mm. this film and with anything he touches really. Um so after the game changer that was get out and the very acclaimed us, what is your own relationship with Peel's films? And like were you excited for Nope? I was. I was very excited. He's so what's happened with Jordan Peel is just somehow in before even nope's in his two film career <laughs> and I, I mean you know obviously he's done key and peel obviously he's like been writing for a long time and stuff like that but in his two film career as a director a writer director um he's become someone i trust entirely to produce something that i'm probably gonna like mm-hmm. someone i trust as a filmmaker even if i even if there are things i don't think it hasn't happened yet but i feel like even if he made a film i didn't particularly like there'd mm-hmm. still be something for me in it. There'd still mm-hmm. be something. I don't think it'd be a bad film. It might just not be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can't imagine him making a film that I'm just like, oh, that was bad. <laughs> that was a bad film. And I don't know how he's done that in such a short space of time, but that is what he's done. So I was very excited. And I think he explains the hype in general around Nope. Everyone was so excited as if we knew something about it, which we didn't. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like it's because it's him and he's already proven to us that not only is he a really good filmmaker, but he's not a one trick pony. He did get out, then us was really different and he's done something really different again. Um, it just feels like you're in safe hands, I think, is something nice. You're gonna see something exciting and fun and funny at points, probably scary. But whatever happens, it's going to be like safe hands. Mm. And I think that's what's nice. It's it's a really rare thing that A, in like two films, as you said, he's already, his name is big enough and recognizable mm. enough and trustworthy enough to put kind of above the poster. It's like, this is like, this is from the mind of Jordan Peele. Mm. And a film by Jordan Peele becomes a big event in and of itself. And also the fact that the all of the marketing of it uh, is very mysterious Mm. and you're kind of the way that it's selling us on it is just go to the cinema just go see it Mm. you'll you'll feel things you'll enjoy things it will be an experience whether you like it or not we kind of promise that Mm. but we promise that it will be a big thing in the same way that get out felt like a big thing kind of out of nowhere because no one was expecting Mm. jordan peele to come up with something like that and us was like intensely you know you were waiting for the next thing that this guy was going to make and I think with Nope at least I had this feeling of I want to see that whatever he does at any point in time but this also there was this promise of like this is going to feel big and I don't know about you but I deliberately avoided as much as humanly possible about it no videos no interviews I watched a trailer once and that's it yeah I was the same, like, the minute I saw even the word nope on someone's, like, tweet, <laughs> who's probably in America has seen it already, I literally was so close, like, throwing my phone, I'd shut down, so, <laughs> I'd be like, no, 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 <laughs> I didn't want to even read a word by accident, 
that means I figure anything out. Mm. I want to go in completely. I want to go with my own little ideas about what it is from mm. the, the trailer. I know I'm wrong because that's like also the mark of a Jordan Peele film at this point is that you're always going to be wrong, whatever you're thinking. And I was like, but I want to go in with my little ideas and then be shown how I'm wrong. Um, mm. So I was the same. I was like, I don't want to see anything. I want to hear about it. And I really am grateful to like all my American friends who, who I did talk to about it before I'd seen it, who refused to tell me anything. Um, and I, I'm really grateful they did that. Because <laughs> it would have like made it not as good <laughs> if I'd known anything. So what was, before you've seen it, uh, what did you, what did you think it was going to be? So I think, I think the only thing that everyone could agree on was it was aliens, right? We all like, mm-hmm. everyone was like, it's an alien film. It's a flying saucer film, right? That was mm-hmm. the vibe of the, the, the tiny bits we got from the trailer. I knew there were horses. <laughs> um, uh, I knew it was to do with like cinema because of the big opening thing that Kiki, that Kiki does in the trailer, the, my great, great, mm-hmm. great, great, whatever grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honestly was like, I don't know. How this? I don't know how a Jordan Peele alien film plays out. I don't mm-hmm. know. It. I. I kind of. I didn't think it was going to be like an alien invasion film, like an Independence Day like type mm-hmm. situation. I didn't think it was going to be something like that, where we actually like necessarily see an alien or like where it becomes about taking over Earth or there's like big explosions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, he's going to do something weird about aliens, and it's not going to be what we think of when we think about an alien film. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially all I, and oh, there's a thing in the, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but there's a thing in the trailer where Daniel Kaluuya says, um, uh, what's the word for a bad miracle for, yeah, for a bad miracle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was all I knew. I was like, it's, a, it's a, something extraordinary happening, but it's bad. <laughs> that's it. That's all I had. It's like aliens, something bad happens, um, <laughs> which is a really strong. <laughs> so narrative. what, um, so I'm going to have to put you on the spot. Oh, shit. Can okay. you try in a non-spoilery way, <laughs> can you try and summarize Nope for the listeners? Okay, so Nope is about, <laughs> Nope is about something miraculous happening in, in bad thing in a bad way no nope is about <laughs> so it's about <laughs> this family who are, like have tra- tra- horse trainers but they train horses for like films and stuff it's like a family trait they go way back to if you've seen the trailer that first clip they showed it's all explained that the it was their great 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 grandfather it's a black jockey on a on a horse that's like the first thing like on film um, so it's like a family tradition. Um, and then <laughs> weird things start happening. <laughs> they're, they're, they're losing money on the, on the, in the business. They're finding it hard to find work. Um, and occasionally, so it starts out with a case, like a, one random event happens and then more weird things start happening. Um, and they're in this isolated place, but there is like a neighbor who runs like this kind of theme park who there are also weird things are happening there, which they don't really cross over for a while, but it all starts with the weird stuff. The, the horses all react to it. Then horses are going missing. Um, there's lots of like bait and switches where you think you know what's going to happen. And then it's not a thing actually. 
Um, and basically everyone who's involved thinks they know what's going on for a long time, but don't, don't actually. And everyone acts in a way that is, um, unexpected. So no one does a thing you expect them to do given the situation. They all have their own ways of figuring out how to deal with this thing. Um, and it's not what you're expecting. <laughs> and then hijinks ensue. Lots of hijinks, lots of plans. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it. But there is, there is, it's science fictiony. There is an aliens, alien, or like there is something super, like, uh, spacey happening. Um, mm-hmm. that's that you're right about that. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, that is, I appreciate the excellent job you've done trying to summarize a very mysterious Just and literally trying enigmatic not to say, film. Like, really key words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> And There's a reason why I always delegate this part of the podcast. <laughs> he does this other thing, and then <laughs> this other thing happens. But don't worry. So, about it. I think I think you know as we both said, uh, the one thing that it's safe to talk about when we talk about Nope in this kind of non-spoiler section is that it does tackle aliens. It's a flying saucer movie, like you called it, which right. is a I, I think is a kind of a throwback in a way because there's alien movies. There's cosmic horror movies, mm. and then there's like flying saucer movies, right? Which yeah. is very, it, it's very 50s in a way. It's very mm. much kind of of the the space race era of sci-fi and 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 horror. And it sort of feels like it, we haven't really seen that in a while. It might just be mm. my impression that all of the alien stuff that I've seen kind of goes down the alien route of, you know, creepy monster needs to be defeated creepy monster happens to be an alien sometimes people are in space sometimes they're on a new planet whatnot so with only that in mind the fact that it's a it's a flying saucer movie how do you think jordan peele tackles this this type of sci-fi and kind of sci-fi in general well he's he's approached it He's approached it, even though it is reminiscent of all these old films, he's approached it almost like it's not a sci-fi. He's approached mm-hmm. it like, here's this this problem that is they they don't understand. Oh, this new thing you just don't understand um, and you need to figure out. It actually reminds me, not in tone in any way, but it reminds me more of like Arrival as an alien film, as a flying saucer film, where it's like, obviously it's it's more dramatic than that. It's not as like the aliens are just trying to like explain some nice things to us, but like, um, it's that different approach to like, rather than let's, let's immediately try and like murder this thing or blow it up or whatever. It's like, Oh, something's weird happening. Like, how do we deal with this? There's an actual like, rather than a knee jerk reaction, there's an actual like, wait a second. <laughs> like, whoa, what, what's actually going on? And an attempt quite a quick acceptance of this okay this is this is a thing that's happening so now what's the next thing we do rather mm-hmm. than it being like alert the like we have to rally and shoot and like be scared and what it's more like i don't know i don't know there's more of like a learning thing with it there's more of an acceptance of this thing is happening mm-hmm. what's the next thing we do let's actually make a plan and it's more individual Obviously, in Arrival, there's, like, an army and whatever, but it feels more individual because it's about her, like, learning and blah, 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 blah. And it feels like that, as expansive as the landscape is in this film, 
it still feels quite small in the sense you don't see very many places or very many people at any given time. It's mm-hmm. mostly Kiki Palmer, Danny Kaleo, or like, you know, like a couple of the other actors. It's not a huge, a huge amount of people all the time. So I think it's just like, it's almost like their personal problem, which mm. is not really how like flying saucer films are, are usually approached. It's not like yes. these two people who live on a farm's yes. problem. It's like a world issue. <laughs> yes. Um, but it really feels like, oh shit, mm. we have an alien. Like as it, you know I mean? It feels like, like, like you've got moles or something. I don't know. It feels like <laughs> No, I think I think that's such a good observation that I hadn't thought about. The fact that it is it becomes their and you know we'll ask you about OJ and Emerald mm. in a moment, but it does feel like their problem. They never go to anyone else. No. Um the, it doesn't even it's not even a consideration that kind no. of pops into their mind. It's like, oh we've got an we've got a flying saucer in our backyard we will deal with this how do we deal with this yeah. individually like as a family um or you know this is our issue not anyone else's it's not a global issue right and and that feels different which is like another thing i wanted to ask you is like and um it's sort of weird talking about it without spoilers but i think it's maybe the only way to talk about this film for anyone who hasn't seen it it's like it makes the film feel very small and intimate right because of the because of that that you've just mentioned but also it's it's huge like it's yeah. it feels so much bigger than the previous two jordan peele films yeah and it feels and i wanted to ask if it feels like a blockbuster to you because that's kind of how it's been pitched and i had and because i've been ignoring with my blinkers on anything yeah about note before seeing it i've only seen that in retrospect so it's like when I was when we were watching the film on this big giant IMAX screening, it did feel huge. But I don't know if it feels like a blockbuster to me. I think it. I think it does because it does feel intimate. So I think that's one of the subversive things that Jordan Peele's done is he somehow made a flying saucer movie feel intimate and close and personal, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's like that because there are so few people. But the actual space mm-hmm. they occupy is enormous. And I think the sheer size of the flying saucer and the fact that it has the expanse of the sky to travel through, I think that's what needs to be big about it. It's the space that they occupy. And that mm. this is the only way the thing they actually end up doing could only really be done in this way because they Mm -hmm. have this space the reason it feels like their personal problem is because they have like one neighbor and i don't even know where the next town even is do i mean or how close it is you can't Mm. like some of the bigger shots you can't even really you can see like uh dupe's place but you can't see like anywhere Mm. else so i think it's it's more the landscape and the expanse it's it's big for more reasons like lawrence of arabia needed to be seen on a big screen than it is for like a big blowy uppy action movie it's mm-hmm. because to understand the scope and to feel like you're in that wide open space and then feel the difference when it does feel claustrophobic, mm. I think is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, again, yeah, the scale you of what s- they're dealing with, I think, yeah. I, again, you hit on something so interesting. It's the expanse and it's the landscape of, uh, for lack of a better word, America. I, yeah. I, I think sometimes I still struggle with of fully comprehending just how fucking huge the United States is and how mm. huge America is. And it's really interesting to see these landscapes that I I simply have never seen those in my life 
living in Europe. Like mm. it's just not. It's we just don't have the space no. in that way, and and seeing that on the big screen and seeing kind of those those moments where they are like you mentioned, kind of a few characters who you get to know really well, but the expanse and the scope of the of the film. It's like the emptiness around them, the emptiness of the sky, of where their their houses, of the landscape, feels huge in a way that no previous Jordan Peele project has felt huge mm. in that sense. Because you know, Get Out again is very much in one house, and in Us it's like very much in this very small like resort town, like you know, a like small ta- seaside town where the action is kind of unfolding and happening. It still feels very contained, very old school Americana, but not big mm. in that sense. And but it did open up at the end of us, and this mm. just feels so much about the quote unquote like America, the, the great American landscape. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because when we do look at like other big alien films that have like been mm. alien blockbusters that have happened, it's like a, a alien ship like comes to the White House, you know, like it's and it's like actually there are lots of places in America where probably most of America wouldn't know something weird was happening. <laughs> like for a very long time <laughs> because it's just like dead empty land mm. um and that's what's interesting the fact that it's like oh no it's not a city it and I, I've always thought that. I was like now if I was an alien I don't know if I go straight to the White House like <laughs> or like straight to somewhere where all the weapons are like I don't know I think I pick somewhere like maybe a slightly more subtle um uh-huh. and so that makes sense to me that this mm-hmm. this this spaceship like this flying saucer happens is like oh I'm hanging out here <laughs> actually when no one knows I'm here which makes more sense <laughs> um, and uh, yeah I really like that about it because I'm just like yeah I, I don't know I can't think of another film where it's like oh it's just hanging out like there's something weird hanging out mm. above the Grand Canyon or something <laughs> where it's just like there's no one um, it's a very clever place to be if you're like trying to be stealthy um and i I, i'm so i feel like we're both walking in eggshell so i want to move into spoiler (laughs) territory really quickly but um before i do i just wanted to ask you kind of without going into characters Mm. let's talk about the characters in the spoiler section because we'll we'll need to Mm. but what do you think of the performances especially of the three leads we've got daniel kaluuya and kiki palmer headlining and stephen young as well they they're both all three of them are kind of been equally represented on mm. you know in the marketing materials and the posters and all of this how do you think they their performances work in nope they work really really well um especially Danny Kiluya and Kiki Palmer because mm. she's such like a energetic like firecracker of a person and he's so muted mm-hmm. and so like subtle. He's and he's just got this like way about him that he doesn't really need to say. He doesn't use words much if he doesn't have to and whatever. And like, um, and Stephen Yun is fa- like. And after the film, I've thought about it even more. Like again, I won't go into details, but his character is fascinating because he's such. A, he's actually such a weird guy, <laughs> but he seems relatively one of the more normal people. But he's so weird, actually. Um, and they all feel really fully realized. They feel like real human beings. 
it doesn't feel like anything's exaggerated they all feel very grounded even like the characters like angel and um antlers the other guy like um even though they are kind of weird occasionally it's like feels like a person though mm-hmm. <laughs> like feels like a person you you kind of understand why they're like this without much need for explanation um mm. and they do work really well together and they especially in the, that kind of thrown together I do like that no one ever like loses anything about themselves even in those thrown together scenes like when they are unexpectedly find themselves together um they're all still very much themselves um and they're just trying to navigate that and actually like finding where the crossovers are and finding actually where they understand each other and actually why that works and actually mm. why even though it seems unlikely there'd be a connection there why there is one mm-hmm. um is really I mean it's so in especially characters with less scenes like Antlers like I'm sorry his name's so funny but um <laughs> um he's like not very many scenes in it but it's mm. a fully realized character Mm-hmm. And I think that's also what Jordan Peele does incredibly well. Someone mm-hmm. cannot be in something for very long. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I know this person. I know who this person is. Like, it doesn't feel like a cheat. Like, they snuck someone in to be like the weird guy or the funny guy. Wait, it feels like, oh, this is a fully realized person. We're just not seeing very much of them. Um, mm. And maybe that comes from like his sketch work, honestly, and making characters and making like, exact, us know exactly who they are in a very short amount of time. Maybe that's where yes. like it comes from him writing that stuff because mm-hmm. he is incredibly good at it. We know who these people are immediately. Um, and it's, I don't know, I think often and often like some filmmakers, when, or if, if they're writers as well, that is often where they trip up because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're trying to write a type or they're trying to, and it's like, no, you have to write a person, like a full person, <laughs> um, especially when it comes to women. And in this especially, like Kiki Palmer gets to really shine. Mm-hmm. And he didn't write a woman. He wrote a person who happens mm-hmm. to be this woman who happens to be paid by Kiki Palmer. Um, and it's that's that's why it works, I think. Mm-hmm. He like trusts his actors to fully develop this person. He's like, you're this kind of person, expect him to get it. And I think that's mm-hmm. that comes through. Yeah. I'm going to pick up on your thoughts on, on OJ and M and Jupe, uh, which are technically uh, Kiki Palmas and Stephen Young's characters, and obviously Angel and Antlers, best name ever for <laughs> a secondary character uh, in, a, in a minute. But before we move into spoilers, I just wanted to ask you, Jordan Peele is very, you know, generally considered already a horror auteur and, you know, in just three mm. films is basically just nailed it out of park in three out of three plus his co-writing and producing of Anita Costa's Candyman, mm. plus his making the Twilight Zone remake. So there's already a, ba- a big bag of work, not just as feature films. Do you think Nope is a horror film? And if you don't, do you think it would appeal to horror fans who might be on the fence about checking it out? I would, I would hesitate to call it a horror film. I think it's a horror film. Um, I think it has horror elements. Um, but it's not a horror film. I would call it a sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what else. I don't. There's so many things in there. There's like, <laughs> I would call it mostly a sci-fi film, just an unexpected one. Okay. A very human sci-fi film that's funny 
and dramatic. Um, like almost a sci-fi action, but like I think if you say action, everyone's expecting like explosions, but there is also action elements in it. Um, there's Western, weird, I, there's lots of things in it, but I would say mostly, I think you can't ignore the alien aspect. So I would say mm-hmm. that that classes it really as a sci-fi. If we have to put it mm-hmm. into a box, that's what it is. I wouldn't say it's a horror. I say it has elements of a lot of other genres, probably mainly horror is the other one, mm-hmm. but but other things as well. But I would say, yeah, it's a sci-fi film, an unexpected sci-fi film. <laughs> so we're going to move into spoilers now, okay. but just a quick one. Would you recommend people check it out? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a lot of fun. I think that's one of the nice things about Jordan Peele's films is that they're, they're, you're going to have a good time. Like, mm-hmm. no matter what's happening, you're going to have a really good mm-hmm. time. It's pitched perfectly. Nothing's wasted. Um, and you will leave talking about it. Like, that's one of the fun things. You get to dissect it because everyone's talking about it. You're never going to believe, like, well, that was very straightforward <laughs> and simple to decipher. There's always going to be things you're like, oh, my God, what about this bit? What about this bit? And that's part of the fun of it, is that you get to talk about so, so much about it afterwards. So, yeah, I would absolutely say go see it on a massive screen. Yes. Um, Like, get popcorn, get a drink, like, make an evening of it. It's lots of fun. Um, Yeah, and don't look up anything if you're listening to this now and you haven't seen it, I don't want you to not listen to the podcast, but don't listen to the spoilers. <laughs> Please don't. Go watch it and then come listen to the rest. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly like, I, I want the downloads. I want the reviews. And I want the, the, the people hitting the subscribe button. But please leave now. Leave. Please now. Leave now. Go see it. I will not, we will not be held responsible for you, no. like spoiling no for you. And honestly, like I genuinely... I know a lot of people say that about a lot of films, like, oh, no spoilers, blah, blah, blah. But like, it is quite rare to go see a film where you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have, this story has not been told before. It's a big screen story. It feels big. It looks big. The performances, you know, like Mm. you're in safe hands, directorially, story-wise, and with the actors. Mm. It's like, it's just that thing of like you don't know what to expect and yeah. just hold on to that for a little bit yeah. it's so rare with anything to not yeah. know where the story is gonna go and that's just such a precious little moment as a yeah. viewer even if it's two hours even if it's an hour yeah. it's like just enjoy those moments where you actually are you know able to be surprised or led down a path by a storyteller yeah, and it is, I, it's so rare to be riveted. Like, I was riveted. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to miss a second. Mm-hmm. I had to go pee for, like, a long time during the film, and I waited till <laughs> I was, like, literally about to wet myself, and I was, like, crawl, crawl, crawl over a bunch of people to, like, run to the toilet, but I was, like, so scared of missing a scene. That's how good it was. I was just like, <laughs> I'm going to go right now because I feel like this is a good time, but I was, like, ter- I was, like, like sprinted to the toilet <laughs> and then clambered over a row of the poor people who I stepped on to get back to my seat. Um, but <laughs> that's how, like, that's how you know you're watching a good film. If it's like a, a whole thing where you're like, you're trying to decide whether it's better to pee yourself or to go to the bathroom, um, then you know you're on to like a winner. <laughs> publicists of nope if you're listening to this put this on the poster put this on the poster almost beat herself it was so good that if that isn't an endorsement of a movie i don't know what is so i think i think we're i think we've 
trotted around enough around the spoilers. So from this on onwards, let's get into the meat of Nope. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great-grandfather. But that's why back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say, since the moment pitches could move, we had skin in the game. So I want to start with the characters. I didn't want to ask you beforehand because I feel like there's they're too rich and too interesting. What do you make of the key three characters of OJ, Emerald, and Jupe? The the our key trio. Yeah. Our key trio. I love them. I especially love um um Emerald and and OJ. They're just <laughs> kind of wholesome as like a brother-sister duo. Mm. I just, I don't know, they remind me of me and my brother a little bit, except I think neither of us are like quiet and reserved like OJ is. <laughs> <laughs> but in these moments when he's actually keyed up by her, like I think we're like mm. them. But um, yeah, they're just, they're just these people trying to figure shit out. They're just struggling. Like, and OJ's, it's one of those, let's start with OJ. OJ is like someone who's really good at his job. He just, Probably not, not a fan of people, which I think is probably true of quite a lot of animal handlers. People aren't so great. <laughs> Once you like work with animals, you're suddenly like, oh, people. Um, but he, you know, he cares about the horses, respects horses. He likes what he does, I think. He respects what he does. But actually the environments he has to work in, I don't think he likes mm. very much. Like these like Hollywoody type environments when no one's taking anything very seriously or whatever um i like how reserved he is he's also learned there's these details danny clear is so good at like just getting detail into a character there's yes. moments where he doesn't talk mm. where so there's one bit where when angel uh, who we'll talk about in a bit comes to put the cameras in and mm-hmm. he's trying to get him to move it up and he starts mm-hmm. clicks at him he's like like up like that's what yes. he doesn't put it up and like yes. he's used to, he's so used to being only around horses mm. he literally is non-verbal sometimes yes. and that is like i love that detail because i was just like yeah if you're mm. around animals that much you're like you know you're trying to you show rather than necessarily say what you want someone to do even when he's trying to get them to get into the van at one point mm. he's like obviously he's look, looking down because of the but he's like banging on the door yeah and it's just like he's used to using like symbols like that, like ways like that to and communicate. It's such a beautiful uh, contrast as well with the first scene when we actually meet him, where he's you know at this ad uh, on this on the set of this ad, and he and Emerald is running late, and you can tell that he is he is bad at communicating with people. He is very good at his job. He's very good, essentially, kind of communicating and taming and kind mm-hmm. of taking uh, control of our animals, particularly horses. But 
put him in a room full of people and he he's like he looks down he can't re- he's muttering his words like he knows his stuff but he's mm. not able to sell it to people he's not really able to read people in the same way as he reads animals mm. and it's it's such a beautiful i think you know introduction of kiki palmer's character too because she runs in she's late she's like chaos mm. but she comes in with no prep and she delivers this pitch perfect monologue explaining literally like word by word the same spiel that he was kind of muttering under his breath and mm. nobody was really listening to him and he was nervous that the horse was going to kick someone by the way who the fuck in their right mind stands behind a horse like exactly seriously but like she just does it pitch perfect because that's who she is she will come in she'll be unprepared but completely deliberate like that hustler energy that she brings and they're so you know completely different to one another and i think you're right it's so placed to both of the performers strengths like daniel kaluuya says so much with just a flick of an eyebrow or just a glance of his eyes and Kiki Palmer is like this full-bodied like ball of energy mm. who is just exuding so much confidence as SM but also at the same time will just disappear in a millisecond and run off and do something else and you'll be yeah. like well that that's it that's her done yeah <laughs> yeah she's she's so effortlessly charming which I think they communicate mm. very well she's bold and she's charming and I think that's what's interesting. So you see at the beginning of the film, you see um their father die in this like freak accident where like mm-hmm. sharp metal objects are falling from the sky at like high velocity and mm-hmm. he gets like a nickel in his eye and it kills yeah. him. And you know, he's talking to his dad at the beginning of the film and it feels like that's who he probably talked to. They had a lot in common. His dad didn't seem like a shy person. His dad was probably the guy running the show, right? When they were mm. running that business. Because mm. when they go to that job, they ask for him, right? They're like, where's mm-hmm. the other guy? Because he's obviously yeah. good at both ends of it. Mm-hmm. And so him and his sister, him and Emerald, OJ and Emerald, like this perfect amalgamation of his dad, who was in, his dad was in one person, but mm. they're separate. And so neither mm. one of them can do this thing by themselves. But both of them, it feels like at the beginning, are maybe trying to. Um, but they're actually such a strong team when they're like together. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it works really well. It works incredibly well. I mean, and I love the idea of two people growing up in the same house and just reacting very differently to everything mm. about it and take and becoming a different person around it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, um, I think it's that he's done that sibling energy really well. They understand each other on a fundamental level. They get mm-hmm. on on a fundamental level, even though they're very mm-hmm. different people. Like they both want, like when they go, come home from that job and um, he's like, God, I've got work to do. And she's like, oh, I thought we could like have a drink or whatever. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. And it's like, they know each other well. And she knows him well enough that actually she knows that's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He does want to slack off sometime and have a good time. And she's like the key to that. And he wants to take things more seriously. And he's a bit of the key to that. I mean, it's like a nice balance of people. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Yun, who plays Jupe, is like, what's his, is that his full name? He's, uh. No, so his full name in, I had to look it up because I don't think it's it's shown in uh, sort of on posters and stuff, right. kind of in his previous life. He's called Ricky Park, but he's right. sold dupe throughout the film and that's how he calls himself. Right. So he is, I guess their closest neighbor, runs mm-hmm. a theme park based on, it's called Jupiter's Landing, right? Which is based on... Mm-hmm the show he was on as a kid he played a little cowboy or something um <laughs> little adorable cowboy and um it's like horses and like 
vaguely western type things and he it's it it it's kind of like this amazing which again what we're talking about like america like jordan Peele has such a good handle on what what's fascinating about american places that aren't places we necessarily expect which is stuff like yes you could be somewhere there's like a farm like a ranch with horses and then there's like a weird little adventure thing that you're like who goes to this it's in the middle of nowhere and it's mm. essentially for locals who just go all the time <laughs> but there are a lots of places like that in america mm. where you're like what is this like a weird little like unlicensed theme park that you're just mm. like oh okay um, um and like having family over there there's been i've been to a lot of those weird little places where you're like huh like in florida where you're just like what is this? Um, <laughs> is this safe? Is this regulation? And probably no, but like, <laughs> but like, so he's like, he's closest to them, but, and they have a friendly relationship as in they know mm. of each other, but mm-hmm. they clearly aren't friends. Mm-hmm. Um, their most crossover is like the OJ selling him horses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and selling him to his closest neighbor in the hopes of getting them back at some point. Um, but they don't seem that interested in stuff he he's doing. They know what the place is. They're aware of it. Um, it's kind of this novelty thing. I guess they don't go very much. But when they do go, it's like, oh, yeah, this place. Uh, I, I want to talk about Jupe mm. a bit more and and the whole Gordy oh, yeah, yeah. part of the film. But I wanted to stick on something you mentioned before. Kind of how do you think OG and M change throughout the film? Like they're so clear when we meet them. And where they end up feels, for lack of a better word, kind of so much bigger and grander Mm. than kind of where they started off or how their characters are presented to us. Mm. Well, I think it's, I think it's that thing of like, they change each other. Like, OJ needs to think bigger and he needed Emerald for that. And Mm. she needs to be more grounded and she needed OJ for that. So she ends up making more smarter and more like involved decisions where she actually stays and she actually like thinks about things and she's like wants to be the person who helps and to figure this thing out whatever whatever and he is willing to take risks in a way that I feel like maybe he wouldn't have been at at the beginning he's all about the ranch he's all about we're selling a horse to make some more money just so we can keep this for a bit longer and then we need a job so we can do this for a bit longer Mm-hmm. Um, and that's his only kind of thought and they mm-hmm. both just both their goals change I think she seems to be wanting to be coming in and to be there for a bit and then to to leave isn't mm-hmm. there, is there talk of selling the place um, yeah and I, I think she she does talk about selling the place and OJ is much more grounded like even yeah. in the way when he sells the horses one by one to Jupe it's so much like basically just to stay afloat yeah and he feels a lot more naive than than M in the sense that he still thinks that he can get them back right he, he doesn't know about what Jupe is doing with them yeah um and like this idea of you know oh no I can I still, I need to hold on to this farm. I need to hold on to our father's business. Mm. Uh, we are this business, like we need to, we need to make it work. Whereas I think Emma's much more like, oh no, let's make, a, let's sell it. Let's sell it while we can make a lot of money and then do our thing mm. because she wants to do her own independent stuff. Yeah. Instead of, you know, necessarily wanting to follow or, or maintain the, the family business. 
And I think by the end, their focus and their goals like align. Mm. So they just get closer together and they're just more like, okay, actually there's this new thing mm-hmm. and we can both, with the strength of both of us, we can like figure this out. Um, and I think that's really what happens. They just kind of get back in tune. Maybe they were like that when they were mm. kids and this experience like forces them to get back in tune with each other. And to actually find a new thing that's the most important thing. They find mm. this new thing together that becomes the most important thing. Mm. Um, and they're willing to like almost die to do it. So they, they they literally like find this common goal. They're both willing to put themselves at quite high risk to do <laughs> together. And there's no option outside of that. It doesn't seem like for them. So the and their like goal is essentially to and we talked about it a little bit when we left the screening, kind of their goal is to take a picture mm. of the alien. By the way, I found online after I was reading after seeing and reading online about the film that the the people of the internet are calling the alien Jean Jacket. Oh, he named it Jean Jacket. <laughs> oh, it doesn't happen in the film. Did I miss it? I yeah, totally he missed names it. it. He's like <laughs> he calls it Jean Jacket. And so it's like a whole thing between like the horse like Kiki Palmer didn't get to train. So like Mm -hmm. when, so when Emma was a kid, um, Mm -hmm. she was given a horse that was jean jacket and she Mm -hmm. was going to get to train it. And then her dad didn't let her in the end and because he got some deal with it and they wanted to use the horse or whatever. So Mm -hmm. he did it and she had to watch from the window. So this became like the redemption for that. Like the, 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 oh my God, to give back to her for that. He was like, it's jean jacket and we're going to do this together. But it also obviously ends up being her really that yes. figures it like does the big end thing yeah so um so that was that was that like that was to give back for the what she lost out on as a kid <laughs> oh my god oh you've just made it better i was like i saw it online i was like oh the people of the internet are weird is it because the alien kind of looks like like jean fabric uh, and it's like, i more... guess it could be a jacket <laughs> and then i was like well now it's a lot more emotionally resonant but I, kind of bringing back to bringing it back to Jupe because uh, yeah. I, I kind of interrupted you on that. What do you think his end goal is? Because he, as we find out, he's been basically feeding the alien this entire time yeah, with the, the horses, horses that OJ sold him. He's just like, yeah, oh, fantastic. Here's some food, <laughs> um, which is unbelievable. But um, he's so he's probably the character I thought about the most since leaving mm-hmm. the screening when we were like leaving the cinema i was like i'm so i was like all i want to talk about was gordy <laughs> it's just like wait wait like i need to think about this so the whole thing with with um jupe is is that he's was a child star was in a tv mm-hmm. show like a sitcom called gordy's home one of those cheesy like 80s sitcoms mm-hmm. where it's like canned laughter live studio audience like wholesome family and there's a yeah. there's a, a chimp who's trained a trained chimp who's gaudy um who lives with them like you know and you know fun things happen every week or whatever and one day so the film starts actually with gaudy at the end of a rampage who he's, he's covered in blood there's eight like covered in blood he's there's like a body on the floor and there's an upright shoe um with a blood spot on it and then Gordy turns to the camera and you're like, oh, and you don't, and then you don't go back to it for a while. And I think two more times explains exactly what happened in that situation. It, ex- it expands on the scene. Like we right. get kind of different, pers- literally different perspectives on it. Kind of in a way that now that hearing you 
talk about it, I think is very much a throwback to sort of these multi-camera sitcoms. Right. Because the way that they would be filmed, and this is very much a uh, I Love Lucy innovation yeah. of like filming a sitcom with several cameras. So you're getting several, essentially with the same scene, but mm. you're seeing it from different perspectives and it's like makes it easier to to edit and it's much more efficient, an efficient mm. way of filming. But here we're kind of seeing that, but in Jupe's memory, because we see Gordy's attack explained by him to Kiki Palmer's mm-hmm. character, but also then from his perspective and from other perspectives. And we kind of, every single time we go back to that incident, it gives us more information. It expands mm-hmm. the the frame a little bit more. So we see what was happening from multiple points of view. And it's it remains very mysterious. Like it never fully, we're never fully explained why that attack happened why Jupe keeps remembering it, why he's now profiting from it, and whether his like feeding jean jacket has anything to do with Gordy's attack too. Well, so this is I this is the thing I probably read the most about because mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> I need to know. And so like so what happens is so when we finally get the full kind of story of what happened or the full mm-hmm. from the beginning, mm-hmm. the balloons pop. So there's like these um uh, it's, it's Gordy's birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a box of helium balloons that get opened. They go up to, and obviously, hot studio lights. The helium mm-hmm. balloons pop, and it like basically sets off this chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, it spooks him, and and we've seen like you know at the beginning we see the horse get spooked, um, and kick the makeup lady's bag, um, and this is like and, and basically the the common. So wait, let me let me let me go in order. Mm-hmm. So the horse gets spooked. Yes. We see that at the beginning. So we hear the balloons pop, and that's what mm-hmm. sets Gordy off, and he starts attacking mm-hmm. people. Which mm-hmm. is a thing that you know chimps want to do. They are, <laughs> they might do that at any given moment. They're very strong and actually very vicious that they need to be. Um, mm-hmm. And we find out that Duke watched it all from like hiding under the table, mm-hmm. and he's attacked a lot of people. We're assuming there's probably more than one person who's been attacked, but we see mm-hmm. him attacking specifically one girl who mm-hmm. he's like still hammering on her like head, I think, and like pouring her face and whatever and then he like seems to calm even checks if she's a if she's awake alive like he like gordy like moves her foot to see if she's like and there's one shoe that's like happened to have fallen on its end and is standing upright and that's what jupe is looking at until he like focuses on gordy and then gordy comes mm-hmm. over and you don't know what's going to happen and in the show they have this like little fist button thing that the chimp's been trained to do and Gordy reaches under the table to do that and just as they're about to fist bump, Gordy gets shot, right? So mm-hmm. finally animal control over has turned up. And you'd think <laughs> that would mean that Jupe as an adult is this incredibly like traumatized person, or just is this incredibly like maybe has a dark but he's the opposite. He's a lighter mm-hmm. than air seeming. Mm-hmm. And he has this whole room in the back of his office that's memorabilia from the show. And actually when Kiki Palmer asked him about it, the show, when Emerald's like, oh yeah, what happened with that? He doesn't even explain it as the incident. He explains it via an SNL skit that was done mm-hmm. about it. So it's like this bit, and he's like, oh, it was so funny. So he doesn't even go, this is what happened. It was really scary. He's like, oh, there was a thing on SNL. It was amazing. It was so funny. This is the cast that played this. And oh my God, you should check that out. That's like the best. And everyone's just like, okay. Um, This person clearly is not. And the whole time he has this kind of like vacant, serene look on his face. Mm -hmm. Like he is not fully connecting with the actual trauma of that at all. Mm. Um, 
And I think what the thing is, rather than it being really connected, so because I was like, how does this connect to what jean jacket is, we find out, like, you know, or anything. But I think it's rather, it's a loose connection about like dealing with thinking you've tamed something wild, mm-hmm. I think is what is actually the, the or being disrespectful to something that is mm-hmm. wild and can hurt, hurt you because you assume you're in control. We see it in a, its mild form at the beginning when the horse gets spooked. It's like you're never really mm-hmm. safe because there's a wild mm-hmm. animal in the mm-hmm. studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with Gordy, it's like he mm-hmm. might be trained, but he's a wild animal. And um, mm-hmm. with Jean Jacket, with the big alien, like he thinks, he also thinks, I think there's also a thing of like thinking he's special he survived mm-hmm. it. He's been a child star. Mm-hmm. His whole life he's been special. He's trying to continue being special. That's why he's built this whole like Jupe's land, Jupe's landing thing. It's about him still. Mm-hmm. He's still clinging on to that, being the special mm-hmm. boy. And he survived this attack, you know, that he didn't even get hurt in the thing where like no one, no one left, um, no one else got away unscathed mm-hmm. on the set. Um, mm-hmm. And he thinks he's done it again. He thinks he's fine. He thinks he's in control of it because he was spared once. And what you actually do with tragedy is that you make money out of it. Like the little room he has at the back of his office, he charges people to come see it usually. Mm-hmm. What he's what he's no, knows is that you can capitalize on this terrible thing that happened. Yes. You can live off that forever. And he's seen this new like spectacular thing, this alien like in the sky. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how do I capitalize on this? How do I, and you know, he'd be forgiven think he's kind of an in- invincible. He survived this thing that's like, he gets to watch it from the periphery kind of seemingly unscathed, you know, emotionally, mm. he probably is very scathed. But like, um, so I think that's what the, the common thread is of this, I, this disrespect and this idea that everything's all good when actually you have something very, um, the minute you're not respectful, the minute like you're not thinking, like for example, like with Gordy, it wasn't that anyone was like directly reckless. I think it's always a bad idea. There is a reason we we don't really use I mean, there was a time when chimps were on TV all the time, it feels like, and now not so much because like, yeah, they're I mean, there, there's a whole like late 80s, uh, 90s trend, I think, of just using animal human pairings as a whole genre yeah. of itself. Like, oh, it's a dog policeman. Oh, it's a parrot coming of age movie. Oh, it's right. a chimp uh, or it's like a, a, a fucking Bud Air was a whole franchise. Like it's a dog playing right. basketball or right. it's uh, an elephant who's also a cop. Like all of right. this stuff. There's so, endless of these. Yeah. So I think it was like, and I think the re- the reason it stopped is because people t- learn. <laughs> well, obviously like animal cruelty things, but people learn. It's like, oh, yes. this is we can't actually control this. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't really have a set filming day when there's an animal mm. set. You because this animal might not actually do what you want it to do at this any amount of time. And with Gordy, it's like not an immediate like thing of disrespect. It's it's also the fact like if anyone was really thinking, they would have figured mm-hmm. out that having balloons that pop that are like mm. shiny, unusual things that can explode in a hot studio probably isn't a good idea around a wild animal. But I want to ask you, because the one thing that kind of keeps, that is also like very much signaled to us as important in some way through just the camera work, is the shoe. Because yeah. on the scene of Gordy, of the Gordy's attack is, you know, what we see from several angles, this one shoe oh, right. stand upright with a little blood speckle on it. And that same shoe we see at first in Jupe's little, you know, grotesque museum behind Mm. his office where it's kind of framed 
and it's given so much importance by the camera. So I'm like, what do you think? What do you it, what do you think the shoe means? So I so f- first when I first saw, I was like, maybe that's the connection to like this yeah, alien that's stuff, what I thought like, as well. But actually, I think it just ties into the bad miracle narrative. Mm. It's something unsettling and the impossible feeling that ties in with this also horrible attack it's a result of this horrible attack in the midst of this horrible attack this unbelievable thing that if it happened like at a party be like oh like it would just be like this weird random one in a million thing that happened and it feels it ties into that bad miracle thing it had to be special i think that's what ties into Duke's personality it had to be special because there was also this weird thing that he noticed Mm -hmm. this weird shoe that stood upright Mm-hmm. Um, something other what something other must have been happening, right? And I mm-hmm. think that ties into who he is as a person and what he really builds him. Like we don't see apart from Duke being a kid and him being an adult, we don't see any mm-hmm. other part of Duke's life, um, really. So it's like, but I think that's probably what's fostered a lot of who he is as a person, because mm-hmm. the fact is, yes, he does run his own theme park, um. Yes, he is a success in like a certain way, but also it's a theme park in the middle of fucking nowhere. And he's not, he doesn't run Disneyland. I mean, he, he's not, people don't seem to be traveling for miles around to come meet the real like Jupiter. Like, do you mean it's not a thing that's happening? Mm. Um, but he's like clung on to these things because they, they're what make him special and him being special is what means he can now this will be his next big thing if he can make this work this thing mm. with jean jacket then maybe he can become an upper echelon again maybe he'll continue to, to be the next special thing about him um so i wanna i wanna pick you up on this and kind of mm. talk a little bit about because i think that's a very good entry point into one of the key themes mm. of the film and it sounds it's something that i've kind of watch Jordan Peele talk about in the in the interviews that he's done and he doesn't usually do that many interviews but he kept mentioning kind of these two words exploitation and spectacle Mm. as kind of the key thing that made him come up with nope that were the key things that he wanted to explore there's many of things there's many things I want to ask you kind of what you think um they are but I want to start with this because it ties Mm. in so perfectly like Jupe is exploiting himself Mm. the bad miracle that happened to him once and the other bad miracle that he stumbles upon in the form of jean jacket Mm. and he puts he creates a show out of it he sells tickets to it he sells himself as this almost like preacher like um, person who has a special connection to jean jacket who can control it in some way Mm. obviously this is all for show and he's he's fucking put his children in little furry alien suits and selling merchandise Mm. and like that complete dedication to putting on a show out of anything that comes around that is Mm. you know supernatural unnatural otherworldly you're like oh instead of you know sharing this documenting this calling the scientist or whatever to figure out what the fuck this is no i'm gonna sell tickets to it i'm gonna make a make a show out of Mm. something that signals a, a complete you know reframing of our understanding of the universe so and the same kind of happens with Emma and OJ. Like their goal is to take a picture mm. or take a good video that shows Jean Jacket in full in full action to demonstrate that there is in fact an alien creature that's been you know hiding in their in their mm. cloud and doing all this shit and kind of eating people and eating animals on in in their town. What do you think kind of about how 
all these three characters and antlers to a degree as well fit into this exploration of exploitation and spectacle um well i think it's like that's what's fascinating about this film is that they they're like oh there's a alien craft of some sort hiding in a cloud like near our house and no one is like we should call somebody they're like right <laughs> how do we get this on camera how do we make how do we monetize this in some way which feels surreal but in today's world actually like no i feel like that a lot of people's first response probably would be that and that's why like everyone's trying to claim ownership of something that you can't really own Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. it's the same with like and again like it's a through like the through thought of like wild animals you can't really own that animal because that animal's stronger than you (laughs) if it wants to go it's gonna go um and uh they stop, there's a, there's a, towards a later point in the movie, like, reporters start hearing about, once all the people, like, get eaten at Jupiter's Landing, then reporters start hearing about it. And they're not that, like, and they're, they are framed as kind of, like, these vultures, like, swo- swooping in to try and get the scoop. And, like, the TMZ, like, that whole funny scene of the TMZ, the guy mm-hmm. who's there with his camera trying to, but it's like, is he different than anyone who's trying to, it's that whole claim, the first claim to something. Like it is yes. just like that first the planting first of the flag. Time. Yeah, uh, it's mine now, which is a ludicrous thing because surely if there was an alien in the sky, it's kind of everybody's alien, right? We all live on the planet, so <laughs> we could all be eaten at any point. No one's in charge of it, so it's like, well, it's everybody's. It's not. It's not really anyone's. It's just or it's, it's itself. <laughs> it belongs to itself. <laughs> but <laughs> but like everyone just immediately tries to figure out how can this work for me like rather than seeing it as the threat mm-hmm. <laughs> and the danger in it as it actually is rather than being like even if they don't tell anyone rather than being like we need to get the fuck out of the town they are like what do i how do i make this something that is somehow works for me that i'm the person that benefits from this from this miraculous thing that happens and i think the use of the word miracle isn't it and it isn't an accident the fact that he starts with bible verse isn't an accident right so like the Bible verse he starts with is like, um, it says, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. Right. Which is about the destruction of Nineveh. Right. And it's for, for the sins they've committed. And so I think both the alien is the spectacle mm-hmm. be- is made the spectacle, mm-hmm. but the people are committing the sins which is it could almost be seen as like a punishment there's a often like the word surveillance that comes up mm-hmm. right that this thing is watching them there's a whole thing about not looking at not looking directly at it right so it's surveilling you but you shouldn't look directly at it because the way that uh oj manages to sort of maneuver around jean jacket is that he figures out that if you don't look up essentially if you don't look up yeah you you can sort of be avoid being seen by it or being felt by it you can sort of kind of maneuver around it and get away if you just don't look directly into it doesn't really have an eye but we're meant to be understand that the alien can see you looking at it because the minute you look at it directly it chomps you it knows you're it knows for sure you're there and i think like uh oj is a person who says it's alive it's territorial territorial it wants to eat us right so he's the mm-hmm. first thing he really identifies it as like an animal it's an animal mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. wild predator like mm-hmm. apart from everything else the fact that you've never seen it before the fact that it's like a space alien 
the fact is it works on predator rules. Like it's, it's, it's trying to eat us. It's hunting us. Mm -hmm. It does it this way. These are things it does. These are the ways to like try and protect ourselves. Um, and it's hard to, in films like this, because there is something exploitative about being like, we're going to try and get a picture of it and become rich off it. But it's like not a direct exploitation because it's not like they're going to like, I don't know, bring it onto talk shows. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or like, I don't know, like make it go on diet pills or anything. It's, it would just be a picture of an alien. But like, yeah. um, but like, um, it's this idea of like, I, I think it's like what you said about Jupe. It's almost like exploiting themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they're willing to risk their like own bodies and lives to get this thing to to become famous to make mm. money and become famous like you talk calling getting the oprah shot right mm. like the, like a direct thing of being on oprah that's it you're set for life mm. not even a question of like what is it where did it come from why is it here like how do we get rid of but, it it's really but- about that but this is what makes it feel so intimate, right? Like yeah. we were talking about at the start of our conversation. And I want to talk specifically about M's like final moment when she gets the money shot uh, and why it matters. And it matters, I think, in part because it's also going back to the very, very start of the film where they're talking about mm. the the unnamed black jockey that's in Edward Murbridge's horse in motion, you know, this first strip of motion picture, this, you know, this first cinematic mm. moment, and this man who's actually doing the performance and riding the horse, whose name, you know, has been erased uh, mm. in history, but we all remember, or like, you know, we have in our history books about the origin of cinema, Ed- Edward Murbridge. Mm. And there's a thing I think that is also there. It's like M and OJ work together to get the money shot because it's a way of cementing their names in history. Yeah. It's like you will remember our names because we got the first, like we got the Oprah shot of this giant alien. Like we, like it's a way right. of their planting the flag in in history because no one will deny that they were the ones who took that picture. It's theirs. They did. They accomplish this essentially achievable goal of we can't defeat it we can't tame it we don't know what it is we don't know what it wants but we can prove that it's been here yeah and i think it's also i think they had to so i think there's a feeling of like there's no easy way to Mm -hmm. get to so i think i think what do i think so the way duke was doing it felt like an easy way mm-hmm. i'm gonna keep feeding it horses and then get people to look at it and charge like money that way whereas like mm-hmm. we want a picture on a clear picture they have the first they set the cameras and they're praying mantis on it when it first arrives and all this stuff mm. and they have to almost die and like literally the picture she gets takes not only like she has to get to the winking well to like wind the thing it takes physical effort and much mm-hmm. like the first film of the, the horse rider, which is like several individual photographs stitched together, um, it's the several shots she has to very slowly crank out. There's work involved. They've earned it. She's earned that shot at that point. There's no easy in. And I've been seeing everyone talking about this kind of segue, but like there's the number 613 comes up a lot in the film. Okay. So uh, Gordy went, went, 
ballistic, like ballistic for like six minutes and 13 seconds. Um, mm-hmm. There's something that as a price at 613 at the register. Uh, someone wakes up at 613 in the film mm-hmm. and it's apparently an angel number, which is to do with the starting of like about, about bravery and success and about um, how you have to be brave to gain success and how um, all your failures are ways you've learned how to do it right. So like failing is your learning opportunity. And I was like, well, that's the whole thing. They keep failing and they keep like, and they keep learning and they have to risk it all to get this thing they so desperately want. They have to take this massive, massive risk because it is a point in the film where you just feel like, fuck, this thing's one. Like one of them is going to get eaten. That's mm-hmm. the only way. And then one of them is going to get away and they go, no, actually, we're going to try one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's her and it takes like risk and physical effort and bravery and like so I think there's also a thing about like earning the thing it can't be you can't ride in and you're like TMZ motorcycle with your million cameras mm. your shiny helmet and just get a quick snap and then go back mm-hmm. to the office it you need to be there you need to be in it you need to work hard you need to have plans that fail mm-hmm. before you actually deserve to in the same way I guess like if you look at I don't know like the difference between like someone who's a wildlife document like who mm. spends weeks in a jungle on their belly in the dirt or like or in the freezing cold or whatever to someone who gets a lucky shot of something miraculous and gets loads of accolades mm. but there's some guy you've never heard of who's actually like <laughs> there with a long lens camera for ages and like getting bitten by all sorts of things it's like that different thing of like well there's a difference between like trying to get a picture of something or like trying to capture something um, and working hard for it and actually being willing if you if you want that shot if you're willing to really actually do the work for it and just trying to swoop in and make a quick buck um mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of a, something against that about making a quick easy mm. it's like well no nothing's easy why should it be easy there's something about kind of earning it right and I and I want to use this opportunity to talk about antlers because he okay. well first of all the way he the ending of antlers and the way that he goes out, he gets eaten by Jean Jacket, he throws himself into its mouth. Mm. Um, but he's, his last words were this thing of like, you know, you don't deserve the perfect shot. Mm. And he essentially lends himself be eaten by Jean Jacket and takes the perfect shot with his kind of non-electrical camera that he's designed. Mm. Because he feels like he's the only one who has earned the right to have and see and capture the perfect shot, even if it gets destroyed with him along the way. So I wanted to kind of, like, what do you think about him and this, like, final, you know, proclamation? Because in the film, like, that really took me aback in the film. I did not, that little collaboration was like, oh, great, we'd get a little team of misfits together. You've got this, you know, grumpy cinematographer with a gravelly voice and a ridiculous name who has created a camera that is the only camera who's able to take a clear shot of Jean Jacket. And then he decides on a whim almost that nobody deserves the shot except him. Well, I think it's that it's that ego, right? So it's the mm. ego of like like that can come with autorism like it's like i'm this guy i'm a big deal mm-hmm. i mean keep in mind very much he's doing a commercial at the fucking beginning of the film do you mean that's how they met him mm-hmm. um but he has this high idea of himself and what he's achieving regardless of the fact these people are the ones who've called him to come and find this thing who have figured out where it is who have figured out 
what it's doing kind of right that's them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think I saw one analysis that was like oh it's it's like all the crew right so it's the the animal handlers (laughs) and the the tech guy (laughs) survive (laughs) and like it's the director who's like I'm it's me it's all me (laughs) doing this who ends up like flying too close to the sun like Icarus himself and um it's that thing of like deserving like what did he do to deserve it because he's mm. been a filmmaker all this time does he deserve it more mm. he dismissed Kiki when she called him initially do you know I mean like he doesn't take her seriously at all so it's like mm. why does why is he deserving he thinks he's deserving because of who he imagines he is rather than any actual work he's done rather than anything he's actually willing to do in this situation and honestly it feels like a misstep like the fact you know it's never an accident Jordan Peele makes his leads black people mm-hmm. and it's um the fact they ask a white guy is like would they have got the credit if that man had got that shot mm. and survived with his camera right his little ima- like hand crank camera that he invented like would they have got the credit would this have even done what apart from it being on their land would it have been anything to do with them probably not right he'd mm. be the name to remember in the same way that jockey they would have been the black jockey right it would have been their mm-hmm. great 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 grandfather all over again where it would have been this guy, he'd remember for catching the shot, this notorious, like this infamous filmmaker. So um, I do feel like it. that's his role. Like, cause he doesn't, he's not so like angel, like he's another guy, like he, he's in with the both of them, right? He wants to mm-hmm. not only do this, he wants to do this with them. He wants to mm-hmm. be part of something bigger. He wants to be part of this story. He doesn't want it for himself. He wants to be part of it. Whereas when Atlas comes in, he's not particularly interested in who they are as people. He's not particularly interested in anything. He's just ready to go up a mountain, set up his shot and go. Mm-hmm. He is mm-hmm. not interested in any other part of their aspect of life. He doesn't get involved in the same way. He doesn't connect with them in the same way. Um, so I do think it's also that thing of like the greediness of like, of of the, of wanting that of like wanting mm. the same you know the same with jupe it's like it's greed it's like do you why are you feeding it horses <laughs> like what what this thing you literally don't know what the fuck's happening and you're like i know i'll invite more people to look <laughs> at it um which is just such an obvious misstep it's like it's because your greed outweighs like what you, you and your ego and your greed outweigh everything else all common sense and obviously mm-hmm. it's that like you know we see antlers watching like other predator and actually i want to re- what i said earlier about being a sci-fi movie is actually also kind of a monster movie it's kind yes. of more in line with like king kong or jurassic park or like yes. one of those things you try and capture a thing to mm-hmm. put it on show and it all mm-hmm. goes horribly wrong it's <sighs> that kind of film you're so right and i wanna i I was gonna get to this and i think now is a good time what do you i want to talk about jean jacket itself right i want to talk about the big monster right in this the big alien the big monster in nope just jean jacket this like sort of fabricy style alien that hides in a cloud Mm. and likes to eat humans and likes to eat horses like what do you make of the of the design and the modus operandi of this alien i i can honestly say i've never seen anything like it which is very clever to make it to make something flying saucer shaped so we go oh Mm -hmm. alien craft but actually it's just one big alien (laughs) is like so smart it's like i've never seen this alien as just like an animal as a singular 
who's not trying to take over, who's not figure out what resources you have, who's there to like literally eat. It's like a like a country town buffet for this alien. He's just a big mouth like flying around. <laughs> He's just like a big mouth hoovering up horses. And I'm like who knows? It's an it's before. a giant flying saucer that burps as well because yeah. all the like the debris that falls out, off, which yeah, also, I think ties into the original the Bible quote about I'll cover you in filth. It's like is yes, that what makes you think they're being punished for like how they're reacting to this. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's essentially just a big space mouth, and it's like <laughs> it's like it has feelings, doesn't like certain things, doesn't like things. Don't look, don't look it in the eyes. Don't look it in the eyes. Doesn't like metal things that aren't like flesh essentially massive carnivore but like um it's not that different from like in the new jurassic film like the new jurassic world films from like a t-rex wandering around it actually mm-hmm. is, is something that's foreign entirely alien to us yes it's been here before for all we know jean jacket has been here before or been here this whole time because mm-hmm. we actually don't know like there's lots of spans of time that have, like millions and millions of years before we existed where a lot of things could <laughs> could have been happening, um, and it's obviously like, and I love the idea that it hasn't yet yeah, hasn't come to negotiate, hasn't come to learn about our planet, but it's on our planet, and maybe it's figured out if I if I hang out in these like really expansive areas, I can suck up essentially a whole town, and it'd be a while before anyone notices. Right? Well, and- this is why I wanted to ask you: like, do you think Jean Jacket has a consciousness? Like, do you think Jean Jacket is? doing things on purpose as opposed to just following a very simple like i want to eat instinct yeah because then i think he'd be more roaming if if, mm. if that's what it was why would it stick there it's figured out to how to look like a cloud because he it's figured out like that's yeah no one's gonna see me if i'm a cloud um hasn't figured out they should probably move around a bit as a cloud he's like i'm just gonna stay in it's such a Winnie the Pooh move. It's such a Winnie the Pooh move. Like I'm gonna pay myself, uh, like in suit, and I'm a black cloud. I'm a black cloud. No one can see me. I'm not gonna move. It'll be fine. I'm a cloud. All the other clouds are moving, (laughs) but I think I'm fine. Um, I have this long trail of flags hanging from me, but I don't think anyone's noticed. Um, so it's just kind of like it feels like it's a dad is going. Okay, what's my situation here? This is my situation. Mm -hmm. But like someone was saying, how it's kind of using the landscape as kind of so the horse that gets eaten the first horse that gets eaten that runs from the Beth, the Haywards like ranch runs towards Ju- Jupiter land right so it's ghost that runs towards Jupiter's thingy mm-hmm. I don't know but he runs that way so the someone pointed out that like oh it, it's like different areas like it dumps out all of its stuff so it dumps at the how the dad dies is because it dumps out all the keys and change right over there mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. how he gets nickel in the mm-hmm. eye so he's apparently that's where he dumps things right so that's like his bathroom oh and my god then like <laughs> and, and jupiter's then... claim is, is uh <laughs> like a cafeteria yeah jupiter's claim is like little like kitchen the little, where the kitchen is and then above the little mountain in his cloud he's like i'm just in my room right now just chilling that's like where he hangs out and he goes back to these same spots all the time and he only yes. comes back to the ranch really because he he eats everyone in Jupiter's landing but also mm. they're actively like fucking with him so he's like okay you know what actually um i'm gonna spend some time around here but actually he's quite he's it's an area he's staying in for days and for it, weeks 
And what do you think about like, okay, so two things. What do you mm. think about the design of jean jacket, which is so like, I mean, like I thought it was like very fabric-y, mm. which I thought was super interesting. And then at the same time, we get a little peek at the inside at how it literally digests mm. the things and people that it eats. So it's very fleshy and like a, a like very tight on the inside, which mm. doesn't really correspond with how it's presented on the outside. Um, but then the how does that work with the final confrontation with M and OJ? Like, because they concoct all this plan to get the, the Oprah shot of it. Mm. But then it, it is weird. I, I've never seen a flying saucer be given so much personality and also be the thing that tries to get at our protagonist. It is not an alien coming out of the flying saucer. It is the flying saucer itself yeah. that sort of shifts the way it's presented and like opens up and has this peacocking moment where mm. it you know flaps out its giant fabricy gene like mouth and sort of tries to yell at oj i think it's oj not m and like what do you think of this literal like flying saucer v human confrontations that we get and the way that it's designed i really like it because i think what it felt like to me is that Jordan Peele's gone, the sky is like the sea. It will be kind of like a sea organism. <gasps> like, Fuck. it would make, to travel the way it's traveling, it would make sense that it was more like a sea creature. That looks yes. like something that's under the sea, right? Yes. And when it, it's in its basic little mode, it's unassuming. And then when it unfolds, it's, it's an attack mode. It's being threatened. So suddenly we get like the colors, like, you know, like you see octopuses do, like you see like lots of sea creatures do. That's, that's what Fuck, that you're so right. Me. Yeah. That's all that reminds me. I was like, oh, this is what Sienna, like they just, all their little things come out <laughs> when they're under attack. <laughs> oh, that's bits. so brilliant. So yes. like, that's what it feels like. And it feels like it makes mm -hmm. sense for how it moves around, what it's trying to do. It's like, well, yeah, like if, if you look at the sky as a sea and like them as the ocean floor. Like that's how something that was eating off the ocean floor would probably eat things. It actually is oh how it. God. That's like there's animals that do that. So yes. like that's that's what I mean. It's literally just an animal who's gone. I've been somewhere else for a little while, and I'm now I'm decided to make my little home here, and this is what I'm doing. And everyone's fucking with. Me. <laughs> and he's just like I'm just trying to eat, guys. Um, <laughs> do you mean? And so it is just that thing of like it just feels like this is his little area for now this is where the food is for now it's like imagine if you're trying to have a snack and you're like biscuit tries to fuck with you right imagine like th this is the alien's point of view a, like a bit of shrapnel in your biscuit and you're like <laughs> well that's rude and annoying um so like it just feels like if he if he managed to eat the haywoods like he yeah. would have just moved on like jean jacket mm -hmm. would have found another little remote area probably mm -hmm. could hide it and be a cloud and he would have eaten some more people. Do you mean? Mm. And it's, I don't even think, again, like it's not a plan. It's just an animal. Mm. It's just mm -hmm. a living animal. Like we see in the sea, like, like, you know, octopuses eating like crabs don't have a vendetta against any particular crab. It's just like, I'm going to eat you because that's what we do. And because um, <laughs> I think this is one of the things that feels really special and kind of subversive, right? Yeah. Is that the Haywoods aren't really special for mm. Jean Jacket. It's like they just happen to have the right skills to handle it in the way that they would handle a wild animal mm. that they need to tame or that they need to like get something out of. But they're not, you know, they don't have these this special connection. And for a while watching the film, I thought, oh, is it because 
is did this initial kind of bad miracle with their dad happen because there is a special connection between the alien and the Haywoods? And by the end of it, I'm like, no, there isn't. There really isn't. Like they just happen to be, you know, skilled in this particular way that is useful, mm. but they don't think that they have a special connection in the way that Jupe does. I think Jupe's cardinal sin is that he thinks that he has a sort of power over Jean Jacket because mm. he survived this one horrific bad miracle so he can survive and manage the next one that mm. he encounters so he is the special one and i don't think that og and m think that they're special i think they kind of see it as an opportunity that they can handle become, become special as well they're like we can yeah. use this to become special like i don't exactly. think they've been picked i think they probably figured out they could just leave right they mm. figured out mm. enough about jean jacket that they could get away and just go somewhere else and be like well we can't be there because there's an alien eating people but they figure out a way to become special on the back of this and i do love like the idea of like this idea of a bad miracle because i was thinking about i was like oh my i was like what were a bad miracles in real life and i'm like oh like when ships disappear without a trace when planes is it that's a bad it feels an impossible thing that is horrifying and so unsettling mm-hmm. and i'm just like yeah of course there's a lot of like and so all the people that don't know about so if they didn't get the picture if they had just left and all we knew was like news reporters turning up to jupiter's landing and all these people just suddenly fucking disappeared that would be a bad miracle as well it would be like no one knows so i think it's also this thing of like i don't know put the question in my head anyway of like um Mm -hmm. some things are bad miracles that we like that we get like a wild animal going wild and like mm-hmm. it kind of and like a shoes like in that moment like something but then there's also ones that are like oh was there something else like like mm-hmm. because if we didn't know about jean jacket and this this whole group of people went missing mm-hmm. you'd be like this mystery we'd have like blogs and documentaries but no one would come to the conclusion like there's a big alien eating things like you know what I mean like I'm sure someone would but no one would think believe them but like mm. so it's that like, it puts the idea in your head of like what if there are like bad miracles that are happening like things we don't really understand like which we clearly mm. don't like we like mm. the idea of a logical reason there being a logical reason mm. for any everything and not everything is logical and there are things we just don't know about and there are things that we will never fully know about like mm. despite the fact that jean jacket is like there and so close and whatever and they do get this picture and potentially kill it at the end right with the mm. big balloon um which is obviously reminiscent to um gaudy as well like it's a big balloon that pops at the end but um will we know what it is will anyone ever is there another one like it's it's there's all these it's unknowable yeah it's it's unknowable unknowable and no one's even trying to get at that they're dealing with it very much in the moment (laughs) and i think i think this is such a i think this is such a marker of jordan peele cinema like if we can i mean i have a lot of issues with the word auteur and with Mm. the auteur theory in general i think it's become like commercial shorthand for a filmmaker with with a name that becomes marketable and with Mm. certain identifiable stylistic choices but like nobody like actually like they start bandying that around like one film two films and like fuck that no Mm. about three films in is when i think we can start like or like several projects in we can start thinking about what's in common with these things and i say that only because i think that one of the things that people don't really talk about jordan peele that much is how interesting he is and how interested he is in the unknowable, mm. which goes back to his like love of sci-fi and his work 
and love of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. One of, and those kind of old-fashioned, um, big, open-ended, existential takes on horror and sci-fi stories, right? It's like this story, this very intimate story, something big and unexpected and weird that happens to these specific characters. And then it ends, but does it end? No, not really. Because the questions that it leaves open are so much bigger than the story itself. Like maybe OJ and M's story ends when they take the picture and we don't really know whether they sell it, like what happens to them next. But the things that are opened up because of Jean Jacket's existence and because of how they interact with it and these like small identifiable things like you know don't look it directly in the eyes or the way that it's shaped the way that it maneuvers the way that they destroy it mm. opens up so many other questions that Jordan Peele doesn't need to or I don't think even wants the film to answer he wants to leave the questions open mm. and it's one of the things I always loved about the X-Files and the Twilight Zone is every single episode even though we wrap up the the story and the the file the the questions that remain open are so much mm. bigger and so much scarier because yeah. they're the stuff that will keep you awake at night that's the stuff that you'll keep wondering about even when the drama has subsided and you're kind of supposedly safe. It's like, what do OJ and M do now knowing that there's fucking aliens that like to munch on people and horses out there in the sky, in the clouds? Like, what happens next? And that is the thing that also I think is there in the background and get out. It's in the background of us. The stories end, but the questions and the like we never really find out about this like little uh, like big set how big the sect of like people who transpose um like you know the the souls or the the beings of old aging white folk into black folks mm. bodies and like where the fuck does that come from how did it evolve how big how much does it extend mm. What about the tethered, untethered? Like, what happens after Lupita Nyong'o's character, like, the untethered one is unleashed onto this tethered world? Mm. Like, all of these things, these possibilities, the what happens afterwards, or what does it all mean, and what does it, the implications of it is, they're left unknown. And I think very much by design, by Jordan Peele, like, in the way that he writes, those are the things that he's so interested in as as well as the the bad miracle aspect of things. Yeah. And I think the bad miracle aspect is very much the center of this, yeah. but this unknowability of big supernatural otherworldly events I think comes into play into every single thing that he's touched. Yeah, but I think you're right because I think it's also he loves he lo- seems to love keep hearing people's theories about it. Yes. And he never goes on my interview and explains it all the way as a, in a, as a show of like, look how smart I am. Here's what I did. Here's what you missed. Mm. He loves hearing what people noticed, what they're guessing. Mm-hmm. Even if they're so wrong, he loves hearing fan theories about his work. And I, I love that for him. I was like, he's made a film and he's given it. He's like, it's not mine anymore. What mm. do you think happens? What do you think this means? Mm-hmm. But it means that you're always finding new things in his films mm. because he hasn't explained it all the way. There are tiny little bits that you haven't noticed. Um, like there's even the, in one of the things you sent me where he's doing mm. an interview with Kiki Palmer and he says, you know, I wrote it in this time where everyone was like scared to go outside. Mm-hmm. It's like you want to go outside, but oh my God, is it safe outside? And she was even mm. like, I didn't even, you snuck that in. She's like, you're so like, she hadn't, she didn't even know that. It's like, yeah, he wrote it from this idea of like outside is scary 
actually. Yes. The big open yes. sky, should, which should feel like yes. very safe and free, there's nothing out here, is actually quite scary. Mm. Um, and I think that's what is key. He writes from a very human place. Mm. He bases everything in like very human fears. Even if it's fantastical, the story, he bases it a very human feeling. And mm. I think a lot of the stuff he dots around as detail is often about people rather than like a, a like a secret into like the story or what this is. Like, for example, I don't necessarily think there's anything to really fully explain what Jean Jacket is, but there are things dotted around about the kind of people we're dealing with. Like the the posters in Danny Clue's room, there's like a film poster he has and he has like a film hoodie or like a oh, Scorpion mm-hmm. thing hoodie. And, and it's like, he they they love film in a very specific way it's um the fact that there's all these like cameras they get these really high-tech amazing top-of-the-line cameras to try and cap and they don't work and what actually gets it is some like shitty camera in the bottom of a well that's used for like tourist shots Mm -hmm. it's like back to the simplicity of that and like the actual like work and detail that can go into film and actually how anything can be anything and actually the best doesn't mean always you're going to get what you want and I think um, there's like a detail in there as well. Like um, s- someone pointed out, someone on Twitter actually pointed out that the so he so Jupe makes these little alien costumes in preparation for his big jean jacket spectacle show that he's going to do with the horses. Is like these little black furry costumes with these like weird like shaped heads. And there is a great part in the film. That part of the film was really is so clever to be like here's your aliens really early on. Because I genuinely believed that I was like, oh shit, we're in. The aliens are here. What's going to happen? And it was just these kids. But those costumes, the faces look like the cameras on the set of Gordy's home. Yes. So he's he probably subconsciously has put that memory as something unknown, something scary from that, like something that's burned into his brain as a memory. He's made it the face of these aliens kind of mm-hmm. unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And like details like that, so it's all about like the people. Like I feel mm-hmm. like that's what he fills the scenes with details of. It's like this is who these people are. This is where they've come from. This is the world they live in, mm. rather than like secrets to like, oh, here's a secret thing about the story that you're gonna. Fit. It's like no, it's just about all these things about like and us as there's. I mean, us is almost who we need to count, but it's all these like very basic things where he's just like, no, this is the world they're occupying. This is who mm-hmm. they are. These are the clues mm-hmm. that this person is who you think they are. And mm-hmm. it's so detailed, almost too detailed and layered, probably more so than we can ever like talk mm. our way through his work is, and it's because he loves it so much. And I think that's what's really always comes through is his deep seated love of what he's doing. He loves mm. stories. He loves filmmaking. There's films he watched. He loves every film he makes. He loves, um, you know, a- a- it's a really special thing I think to have and you can really tell like through a camera when there's been love and care taken with this and someone's enjoyed creating every single scene every single set piece there's mm-hmm. something very special that happens in it's it's almost impossible not not to fall in love with it and not to enjoy the questioning of it. And that's what I think. I think there are some films you can leave where you're questioning it and very annoyed, where you're like, what the mm-hmm. fuck was that? Why was that happening? Why did that happen? Like, but this, you come out so joyfully questioning it. Like, why do you think? Because you know he had a reason. You know nothing was mm-hmm. arbitrary. So you come out being like, what do you think that was? What do you think that means? Like, why did this happen? And um, 
and it's really special and I think I think I'll be thinking about it for a long time I think it's going to be in the same way that I think Arrival rewired my brain when it came comes to like alien type films Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. has rewired my brain a little bit when it comes to an alien the idea that this is what an alien film could look like that it can be one singular thing that's not an evil enemy that's actually in any calculated way after you but it's just an animal who happens Mm -hmm. to find itself here um i think because i told you this i have an issue with like monster films where the animal Mm -hmm. has a plan (laughs) as in like in the new jurassic park films where the dinosaurs like out to get one particular person i'm like well no they're just being a dinosaur um and I love that this is that. It's like, oh, it's just he's, it's just being whatever it is. <laughs> this is if we went to a planet full of them, I'm sure they'd all be mm. doing this. <laughs> like, and and I, also, yeah. and also, like this, um, there is a space that I really love as well. Like we do get these kind of not reluctant heroes, but like very, you know, they they're just doing what they know and mm. what they can. And kind of figuring it out as they go along. Mm. There's no like, you know, they're not saving the world. They're not even saving their town. They have a goal that is kind of selfish mm. and self-serving and using whatever they know and can to, um, y- you know, even including like uh, appealing to antlers. Like they're not mm. doing that because he's the greatest cinematographer on the planet. They're like, no, we met this one dude. Uh, He probably has very like powerful cameras. Let's go to him. Mm. There is that very um, sort of almost do-it-yourself vibe, I think, that also really reframes this, the kind of the creature, the flying saucer movie. Because it's like, it's not the NASA people. It's Mm. not these alien scientists. It's not experts. It's just people who are doing, using whatever they can find in a kind of home alone kind of way, Mm. where it's like, I'm going to set the booby traps that I, I, with whatever I have. Is it the little like um like the uh, car salesman uh color for like plastic fl- inflatable like men that are gonna wave around? Yeah. yeah, is it gonna be that? Is it gonna be the the hand cranked camera at the low rent uh like small town Jupiter's claim kind of Western theme park? Fuck it, let's use that. Mm-hmm. That's what we're gonna use because that's what we have. Is it gonna be the the cheap cameras from the local tech shop? Yes, it's gonna be that. And I, I really love that because it kind of, it makes it, it's that intimacy. Like mm. you can actually connect it. It's like, oh, they're not, it's not, you know, uh, Will Smith and Independence Day. Mm. It's not, you're not getting any like big rousing speech or like we're doing this for the duty of America and the planet or whatever. It's like, no, we're just doing whatever we can. Mm. And then when confronted with something that is awesome in this, in the very strict sense of the word, like something that is awe-inspiring and so humbling mm. in this very large scale, there's no time to think about that. No. Like, it's all about the booby traps. But then when, you know, when you come out of this film and kind of we've been talking about it for like 90 minutes now, the more I think about it, the more I like read things about it. Mm. I've, read a, I've read a bunch of things. There's so many more that I want to read. There's so many more that will come out when the film hits UK screens. And just like, I want to spend and read as much as possible and watch as many theories mm. and ideas as possible because like even in this conversation there's like 17 things that you've mentioned that i did not think about while watching yeah. the film i'm like it's gonna be endless and that's part of the the thing why it reframes these very i think 
simplistic takes on alien films, on creature features, on flying saucer films, mm. on American blockbusters as well, on American westerns, because we haven't even talked about like the iconography of Daniel Kaluuya, like racing through this like empty American desert landscape on a horse. On a horse. It's oh. just... It, like that on an IMAX screen and even the fact Holy that it's shit. mostly horses even the fact that it's like, yes it just feels so old west yeah and I think that I think the film as a whole is also meant to be the spectacle right like mm-hmm. um we're, we're seeing like all these people get all these things ha- like because there's also the when when we first think we see the aliens when it's mm-hmm. uh, Jupe's kids dressed up as aliens Danny Kelly gets <laughs> out his phone and he records right yeah that's the first yeah. thing he does which is such a common thing now that we mm-hmm. won't even, we as an audience aren't really even questioning that because we are hundred percent for sure at this point in time, know that if something unbelievable happened, there would probably be someone with their phone out recording. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much is documented mm-hmm. now. We, we love spectacle. And mm-hmm. he's, again, he was writing this in, in, in 2020 when there was, you know, videos that were like of like George Floyd being murdered. There's all these things that we we saw, we saw them. Things that you that in a time before you would never in a million years have actually seen. We mm-hmm. someone recorded it and we saw it, and it got shared and shared and like obviously for the reasons people gave of like you know bringing awareness and whatever. But the fact is, you don't need to you don't need to watch someone be murdered to understand someone was murdered, right? If mm-hmm. I if I hear about someone a murder, I don't need to see a video evidence of it. Like I yeah. I, I believe you. Like um, but it it's because and what people don't like to admit is that we enjoy spectacle. There's an amazing scene, one of the very few scenes we don't see them either at Jupes or at the ranch, um, where they go to get burgers with Angel, and there's a fight happening outside of the window, and I kept having to like look back to them because I was just being and it's like. Of course he's done that on purpose. Of course he's gone, there's a spectacle outside and you, even though it's nothing to do with the plot, it's never going to touch the plot, you can't help it. We literally can't help it. We're literally just like, oh my God, what's happening over there? And that we're like a rubbernecking species. We just can't not Mm. be, you know, if we see something like, like if I hear an argument on my street, I'm at my window. (laughs) Yes. And Jordan Peele like, like I mean, mean, same, same. Um, and it's like, like that's human nature that's like me he taps in something so basic about that we don't like to admit about ourselves but it's just like that's what we're like we do want to see the thing and we i like to imagine that if an alien was eating my horses and people i knew that i'd be like i gotta go this is bad but would i or would i be like oh my god <laughs> I want to see more. Maybe I will. Maybe I will get eaten. Yeah, but I want to see more. I want to wait until the last point until I can get away where I'm not going to be eaten. And Mm. it's like I think that is a very human thing that we probably don't like to admit. Like people love yelling at horror films or films like that. But like Mm. I would do that. Mm. It's like people don't act the way you necessarily think they're going to act in certain situations. Mm -hmm. Like people don't always run from danger. We see it all the time where something people are running towards like gunshots to see what's happening. Why would that be your instinct? Like, do you mean there? Are, like, we don't always behave in a way, unless it's like a, a very obvious immediate danger to us. We don't always mm. behave in a way we you think we would. Um, and also, I did want to talk about the fact that the girl who was in the show, who it turns out who's attacked by Gord, Gordy, who yes. didn't die, just had her face like mold. Was from a true thing from two thousand nine. This 
What? Like literally the picture in the newspaper of the real story looks like it's directly. Oh, holy shit. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's Charla Nash is the name of the real woman. So it was a chimp attack. So like really tying into a truce. That's what made me think, oh, it's not to do with the aliens. It's this idea of like, we think we have a tame thing and we never had mm-hmm. a tame thing. Mm-hmm. Like all these people that are like pet lions and stuff back in the day. It's like, mm, mm-hmm. that's going to eat you. Um, mm. But yeah, it's a real, yeah, 2009, real chimp incident. It's a testament to Nope, the fact that we were recording for a full 100 minutes and we had to stop for a break, <laughs> but didn't want to stop recording because there's just too much to go through yet. It's just one of those, that's, I, this is, it's one of those films that reminds me, not that I forget very often, but it reminds me why I love cinema <laughs> so much. Mm-hmm. Like this feeling of being like, I want to talk. I can't wait to talk about to like talk about this film to certain people I know, mm-hmm. and like you know that th- there's something very is it doesn't happen massively often. I think it happened more when we were younger mm. because a lot of things are new to us. Like the first time you see a classic film, that's a big deal or whatever. But in like more recent years, I remember happening with like Under the Skin, mm. where I think maybe for five hours, everyone I saw it with, we talked about it. just can't we couldn't stop talking about it um films like the master or like i don't know there are films that you just just get under your skin somehow (laughs) but like um (laughs) but like you're just and what i mean we said like with jordan peele what's amazing has happened with all three of his films so far um which is astonishing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is a truly astonishing achievement um and this one probably i would say probably even more mm. than the other two i feel like the other two even though there's like a twist and a turn mm. like i think i said this to you like with get out it's like okay he's going to his girlfriend's house something weird's going to happen and then the minute you click, like the minute he, the mum puts him under, like puts him in the sunken place the first time, you're like, oh, the family are weird. They're going to do something to him, right? And even though we don't know exactly what, that's what's happening, right? He's in danger. The same with us. It's like the minute the girl sees a double of herself, something weird's happening. And then she starts seeing all of it. And then the minute we see that, which is, you know, not that late in the film mm-hmm. that we see Red and the family who show up in the house and red essentially explains mm. why she's there. Um, and then that's, that's what's happening in the film. It's trying to navigate that situation. Whereas this, there wasn't that point. I thought it was happening with the kids dressed as aliens. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this is the point, And then mm-hmm. we're going to see what, but I was like, Oh no, wait, wait, wait. Cause for a long time, you obviously as well, you still think it's a flying saucer, mm-hmm. like kind of, and then it's not that. And then you're like, are they going to leave? No. Um, are one of them going to get eaten? No. Like, mm-hmm. there's like all these points where you're just like, I didn't see the fact that Dupe has known about this thing. So it's brand new to Emerald and OJ. Mm-hmm. But Dupe's known about it for freaking weeks. And it's like, they think they've discovered this thing. But actually, does Dupe have the claim to it? Because <laughs> he's known. <laughs> he's been feeding at horses for weeks. And it's like, I didn't know that he that was his plan. Nothing in my in my I didn't have a clue that's why he why he was buying the horses. Um that he was gonna sell this show that everyone was about to get eaten. Like I really 
there were all these little things that like I was like oh wait what oh wait again what like I really was on the back foot for a lot of it Mm. and I think that's what was so and I I didn't even know how they were and I and it's so clever because the minute she gets at the very end when Kiki rides off at the best scene when she rides off on a motorcycle Mm. to get to Jupiter's Landing um and realizes the camera like she can use the winking well camera and you see it so early on that, that there's a camera at the bottom of that well so briefly and the fact that you're like oh my god there's a like and you suddenly realize what she's about to do is just like i did the no i did not there was no part of me watching that film that was like oh she's gonna go to jupiter's land and, he's, and i was like i don't know how you do this <laughs> anymore but it, i don't know it, how it fits yeah, it all I don't fits. know how you like, like make a film like this where I can't, where you really don't know, mm. where you a, a story we feel like we know as well. It's not like an alien story is not, it's not an unfamiliar story to us, but the fact that we we genuinely um, didn't know. It, it it feels like such a an evolution of his previous work because I think. Outside of the unknowability of everything that he's ever touched as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, both us and Get Out, I think, kind of are more interested in weirdness. Like they're interested in the weird side of every day with like just brushstrokes of supernatural or unexplained kind of behaviors you know like oh what is this technology that can Mm. transplant people's souls into other people's bodies right or trap people in this in this like Mm. um like other realm but this i think that nope is more interested in awe and i think that's so it has to do with its scale and it mm. has to do with like how little the efforts and the ambitions of its character seem in comparison with the unknowable and the awe-inspiring thing that they encounter. Mm. And they just and it makes sense character-wise, they just don't know what to do with it outside of like finding a way to sell it in some way. Yeah. Or try to tame it or claiming because that is what they're they want to do that's what they're trained to do that's mm. what those characters have always done their entire lives like everything that you spoke about and and talked about jupe like that makes sense for him to behave that way because that's how he's been made to feel and that's an extension of his character and his character trajectory like he mm. thinks he's invincible because he has been the special one for a long time and i kind of wonder like and you know, when you mentioned that Jordan Peele like loves his genre mm. and he loves film and he loves storytelling, like he's also even in his work in Key and Peele, like some of the best sketches are the ones where it's like, oh, the the nerd is coming out, and it's so funny because you know it, mm. and you're making you're making like a really funny, incisive sketch about something that you know and love so intimately. What do you think are some of the influences of? Uh, what do what do you think are some of the influences that you see in Nope that perhaps feel different from the ones in Get Out or Us? Um, I think it's very. It's actually considering how grand it is, it's actually mm. quite pulled back as far as performance. Mm-hmm. So little is explained. There's a very little exposition mm-hmm. by characters. Like he shows rather than tells very much like OJ's character mm-hmm. in this. 
So, for example, if we didn't have the visual, like the visual thing of what happened with Gordy, mm-hmm. from Jupe's explanation, we, we wouldn't know what fucking happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not actually, he doesn't explain anything about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, even how they talk about Jean Jacket, they don't, they don't overly discuss it. Like, you know, they figure out he doesn't like certain things. So there's not like a, oh, maybe if we feed it this, there's none of that, right? The end plan, like when it's an unspoken brother-sister thing where she figures out what she's going to do Mm -hmm. and Danny, like OJ helps her do it. But um, no one like sits, they sit down and do make a plan at one point that fails. But then the final plan that they have to like decide on the wing, no one like plots out, no one says too much, right? When Danny Cleaver goes to Jupiter's Landing to go get Lucky back and realizes, uh, you know, everyone's gone. Again, there's not like a big expositional, he doesn't call like M and be like, oh my God, like everyone's just like, no, we know, we've seen it. <laughs> like, and so it's very show, don't tell. And I think his other films, which I actually don't mind, he doesn't do, he doesn't do exposition in a way that's like annoying, but there is, there is a big explaining, right? So Red explains in us mm-hmm. what's happened mm-hmm. why she's there mm-hmm. um in get out he watches that video which is like the cheesy family video that explains that oh we're just gonna you know take a few black people's bodies don't worry about it like there's the whole explaining of that um and i think this kind of goes i mean and it all ties every time i talk about it, i'm just like it ties into spectacle he's like i'm showing you it's just here's you're meant to watch it and like no one's meant to explain it to you. Like in the same way, when you actually see a spectacle, you don't know what's going on. Part of the reason it's a spectacle is you don't know what's going on. That's part of that. That's part of why you're staring because you're trying to figure out what's happening a lot of the time or why that's happening. Um, and I think it's, even though it's very human based as far as like, obviously where the story's coming from, I think this one's really about it's more about nature. Like I was saying more about like a, like monster films. It's more about this, like Godzilla or something like it's more nature based Mm. in the sense of like the dangers of trying to, uh, wrangle or profit off something, of something, make a spectacle of something that's like wild and, and natural and dangerous. Um, and it really speaks to that. And in other ways, because we only have these characters, like outside people feel quite weird. So like when the TM- the TMZ guy is more like an alien in a more common sense that we know. Yes, even the design of his the helmet. Alien is because he's this faceless, like mirrored helmet, mm-hmm. this weird voice that's coming from this like faceless person mm-hmm. who just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. He's actually more akin to like an alien. He like He's kind of invading their space in a different way, in a very unnatural way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, you know, obviously, get out. Is, uh, obviously, to do with race and like, in, in, in mostly, and like, us is more like people who have been downtrodden or whatever. Oh, it and, has to do a lot with class. Us, right, us right, is class, about class, right? Exactly, and what their perspective is, like your perspective of what you're doing. Because there was another interesting thing about this that someone was talking about us and talking about how if you saw the story from Red's point of view it's a story about liberation yes rather than a threat yes it's a story about of actually finally getting out and succeeding right mm-hmm. and but it's still again it's very like 
this like very insular you can't no one can see me but I'm doing something with my hands that says insular <laughs> and then um this feels like a bigger scope for him mm-hmm. so we've talked about the landscape but even it feels like a more general idea of like it's about the natural about the world as we see it the natural and how we as humans consume these things that are too big to contain mm-hmm. in these little consumable formats and profiting off like I was just on TikTok, but seeing on TikTok, right, it's become a thing to to uh, monetize your your trauma, to mm-hmm. monetize your tragedy. That's what Jupe's doing. That's what he's done with that back mm-hmm. room. Um, that's what they what they're experiencing is traumatic, right? Like those two people after the fact of this, like um, OJ and Emerald. This is not a normal. You don't come out of that like anyway. We're fine now. Alien tried to eat us, ate mm. all our horses, but we're good. Which is, You've been through a co- which is yes. what makes Jupe so kind of scary and sad at the same time. Right. Like the way that he even, narr- because he narrates the incident of Gordy's attack before we mm. actually get to see it. And then like there's flashbacks. Like we, sometimes there's these moments where he's either by himself or like his, his, you know, his gaze is sort of lost and even his wife seemingly kind of knows how to bring him back she does this little small thing like a little massage on his hand um that sort of snaps him back gently into into reality but you can see that that hasn't gone away but he has Mm. gotten so used to recounting and in a way that is entertaining that is name droppy it's like you know oh chris Catan played gordy and he was unhinged because isn't chris Mm. Catan great on snl but then when you see the the flashback, it's like, this is a horrific, horrific yeah. event where, and also the way that the animal control people like shoot Gordy and save Jube, like that, if the other thing wasn't traumatic enough, this added bonus of like, you're the, only, you're the final, you're the fi- last standing person. And right. you get to see this person that you've worked with, trained with, et cetera, been, you know, commercialized with together. And I think mm. there's another, like, element of, like, you know, uh, there's a moment where I think, I don't, can't remember if it's if it's M or if it's Jupe himself. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm the little Asian cowboy. Like, I'm the Asian kid on this Western show. And that's mm. how I I became a thing. Because wasn't it wasn't it funny to see an Asian American kid play a cowboy? We've never mm. seen that before. And in a way, it's like he's the he's the perf- he's a tap dancing kind of performer who you just he was being sold as look at him, isn't it weird to see an Asian mm. kid dressed up as a cowboy? And like it's And even in Gordy's home, yeah. it's like all it's a white family, right? And yeah. he's an Asian kid who's part of yeah. he's like the diversity hire of this like sitcom show. We're like, and, we'll throw one Asian kid in there for diversity. And this might be like a really intense reading of it, but like when Gordy, you know, goes, you know, wild because like he's not meant to be on a fucking sitcom set doing mm. fist bumps with a child. Like there's this element of like, has Jupe just kind of internalized having to be this performer for everyone, like being this mm. gimmick to the point where like he he will just push it down and make it into another story that he can sell because the alternative is like, oh, well, we're just going to like eliminate you from the sitcom mm. or the story if you no longer perform in the way that is 
that we're asking you to perform in the way that we mm. can commercialize. Like I feel I'm kind of thinking it out loud, but isn't it feels like an extremely dark reading of like, is it just all you're only useful for us while you're entertaining to us? And then as soon as you're no longer entertaining and, you know, working within our parameters that we have defined, mm. then we're gonna get you the fuck out very yeah, quickly. And I think it's um because it's almost the same with the horses. Like Lucky mm. kicks a bag and then he's sold. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a horse can't be trained, it has to go. Mm-hmm. And you're here for this one thing and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that ties into expectation. That's what I mean. But it's about like I think the perspective I think it's for me it feels like the disconnect between like the natural world and actually what we are, what we mm-hmm. are at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. The fact that we will just get a camera out, that we don't react naturally to a lot of things at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we react differently to be ex- being exploited as well. Mm-hmm. Like we try and like maybe like like Jupe does, try and find a way that we can turn our exploitation into something that's good for us. Um, um, like, you know, like I said, like we see on TikTok with people literally utilizing the worst things that have ever happened to them like doing a little dance telling this and you're just like this is i this is like forever of therapy like i don't understand like how you're on, on this thing just talking about it in the hopes of getting like likes and maybe you become a big deal on tiktok and maybe that makes you a career and it's like a it's a it's a very weird thing to actually do with trauma it's a very weird thing to do with exploitation or exploiting yourself and the animals react so differently all the animals react so differently to be exploited. It's like, well, at some point they're going to show that show you that they they disapprove of this. Like it's like that story that everyone was, that was on in the news like a few weeks or like a month ago. That elephant just had a vendetta against this woman, and he like murdered her and then crashed <laughs> yeah. her funeral and like destroyed. He's like, no, fuck you, fuck your house. <laughs> you you will not rest in peace like and i was like listen <laughs> yeah. if you piss off an animal enough like if they're smart enough to come after you like mm-hmm. okay they know they they're gonna finish you mm-hmm. like like we've seen with the blackfish right like that was a whole thing these animals aren't only in cont- captivity they're being exploited mm-hmm. and then they fought back right then not even in a way that's like a lashing out in a sometimes methodical thought that there's that horrifying video of that trainer being repeatedly dragged down by a killer whale held underwater then being let go so the guy could get to the top and then he would come back and then do it again and it was over and it was only one time he let him go for long enough that the guy could swim quickly but it's to watch it goes on forever and i was just like this thing is is not even just murdering you it's like torturing you Mm -hmm. it is like fuck you forever like i i'm gonna ruin your life like right now i'm gonna make you scared forever to get in the water Mm -hmm. like forever Mm -hmm. and i'm like there is there's that thing of like people think they can be a certain way with animals and anyone who's been around them knows that there there has to be a such a high level Mm -hmm. of respect but all times you can never really let your guard down even if that animal knows you Mm -hmm. like i was saying to you i horse ride Mm -hmm. the horse i ride most of the time she knows me she's a dick but she knows me (laughs) right and i have to be firm with her because she is kind of a dick (laughs) i love her really sorry if you're listening i love you but like um like i love the idea of a horse listening to a podcast but anyway um (laughs) she uh, she's in a stall (laughs) 
in a what's, what, what's the horse's <laughs> name? What's the horse's name? Sarah. 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 Shout out to Sarah. Please Sarah like, review, and subscribe <laughs> <laughs> with your little with your big hooves. That's how she relaxes. She listens to her. She listens to this podcast. <laughs> I said it if, if she's listening. This is a prime example of the respect. I'm not sure. <laughs> Does she not listen to podcasts? No. Um, but like, um, like even as much as you have to be firm with a horse that's like misbehaving if you're mm-hmm. trying to ride him ever, there's obviously a limit. If Sarah really doesn't want to do a thing, there's a point where I'm going to stop mm-hmm. asking. She's she's her own being. Like we're we're in a cooperation rather than it being like, oh, I'm in charge. We are meant to be cooperating. I'm firm because she's like, I know grumpy sometimes, whatever, but like essentially we have to work together. And I think, and and what's so true about it, you see it on sets of Hollywood, like when in films I've been in when there's been animals, mm-hmm. the way people behave, like that are just very much filmmakers and not anything to do with animals is like, yeah, no, you can't, that's an animal. You can't make it do anything. They're going to do the thing they do as an animal. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are trained to a certain extent, but you also have to be, this is stressful. Like it's long hours. There's lights, there's people. And it's like, and I was like, all these things that people, as much as like uh, OJ and Emerald respect the horses and love the horses, Mm -hmm. especially OJ. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're still taking on to these sets. Yes, you can be. But the fact is, it's like, it's still a place a horse is not meant to be. Yeah, the a- and, the animal yeah. doesn't care about your IMDb credits. The animal doesn't right. care who you are in the hierarchy of a set. Right. It's going to do what it needs to do if it feels threatened or it feels um, uncomfortable or right. scared in any way. And that's yeah, also right. kind of what Jean Jacket does as well. Like there is an element of... Uh, of uh, a consciousness that we see mm. because it does, you know... It uses deception. It camouflages itself. But, you know, that's also like a very animal instinct. It's like, what can I do to get myself fed? What can Mm. I do to avoid being hunted? What can I do to survive, essentially? And like, I think the film is really interesting in that it doesn't prescribe too much intention. Like, I feel it it Mm. flirts with it. But ultimately, like we're talking about before, the Haywoods are not special. They're mm. just in that right place at the wrong time, basically. Like they are right. uh, unfortunate witnesses to a bad miracle. Right. And I think it's, there's a lot of like eye imagery in mm. it. It's like all the posters about like looking up at something. There's lots of like little visuals that mm-hmm. look like an eye. They talk about the thing being able to watch them all the time. So I, 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 I really do that. think it's like about perspective. It's like, is, is this thing bad? No. Mm-hmm. that's like a wrong thing to use about it what is like and it's like can animals even be bad in that sense it's like people can be mm-hmm. because you're making decisions a different way not to just survive like like we're seeing if you were just trying to survive in that situation you'd have gone mm-hmm. you'd have left pack up your horses and go mm-hmm. they didn't do that right they want something out of it um whereas this thing is just behaving as it's natural in its natural way in the way it's trying to survive right it's just and it's a perspective of like, if we were looking at this from Jean Jacket's point of view, it's like, is it the bad guy? Would we feel bad that like, actually it's been trying to be exploited and that at one point they fed it a metal horse or at one point it bites on barbed wire? Like, I don't know. Like from a different perspective, this is a very different film. And I think that's what's different about it is that 
the scope is bigger because it's like this perspective of like nature and like humanity and what actually is bad and there's been some talk about like that um when jean jacket is all folded out Mm -hmm. it looks like uh like an angel like an anto like almost like an angel right Mm -hmm. um and because it's a there's a there's biblical ties to it like you know like you said about jupe being almost like preacher like Mm -hmm. in his when he starts a show and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and where he psychs himself up and like all that and the dumping of all the blood and guts and like whatever on the house mm-hmm. it's all very like plaguey very <laughs> very biblical and yeah the idea that maybe they're being punished for what they're doing the mm-hmm. idea that man them being representative of man at this point of humanity being punished some some otherworldly way for the things they're doing for the lack of respect for this natural world for the exploitation of this natural world um is like also like a reading of i don't know but like who knows only jordan peele knows but um there's all these little things in there that's like yeah this is the stuff we do is weird actually the stuff we do is weird like the fact that we are like this now where we do film everything that we do have to capture if if it's almost not real if we don't capture it in our little phones but I think this happen. I think it's a good way to it's I think it's a good moment to talk about Angel uh Angel who yeah, we have any even... right which I love. <laughs> I corrected myself because I felt like it was too pretentious. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do think I like I you know it's the it's the anglicized words of pronouncing his um like he's yeah. a Latino character, so like his name is Spanish. Um but like let's talk about a boy angel because he i find him like he's i think he's both pitched as comic relief but also he's very interesting because he's the one who simply will not let go even though Mm. he absolutely has no like nothing nothing to do with the haywoods he literally works at a tech store he sells them a bunch of cameras but Mm. like he will not let go they tell him explicitly don't watch the feed from our cameras and he still obsesses over it he's like Mm. no he inserts himself he inserts himself into their narrative and into the story because he wants to be a part of something Mm. what do you think about about our boy angel i love him because in this in this um this film where there's lots of exploitation happening he had he has a way to potentially exploit these people Mm -hmm. he's connected to the feed right he's more tech savvy than they are but what does he do he's watching the feed yeah when they tell him not to but then he sees a praying mantis and calls them immediately mm-hmm. to tell them there's a praying mantis on your camera like he's he wants to work with them no part of him wants this story for himself he wants to be part of it he wants to be along for the ride but in no way mm-hmm. does he think he can do it without them in no way does he want to undermine or like trick them or take anything from he's so committed Im- instantly to these people like which is why i think they let him in mm-hmm. really because he's so earnest there's something so genuine about him he's so committed he's willing to risk his life to to be part of this and to help them and he would risk his life to save them as well like he he's being part of them in a very different way to the way antler antlers is for example like you know the fact that he he doesn't want to take anything from them. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's a mistake that he's also non, a non-white, you know, 
actor that mm-hmm. he's also a person who potentially could be othered who could get forgotten who's also really good at something he's really good at this tech shit he sets up this actually incredibly sophisticated thing he mm-hmm. knows how shit works mm-hmm. when atlas gets taken by a jean jacket he knows how to work the thing like mm-hmm. he's this untapped talent right which i think all of those three are right they're these un like kind of forgotten talents kind of these push to the side talents right Mm-hmm. Um, and I love him because he's just earned it. He just, he's fascinated by, it. and if anyone's going to ask the questions about what this actually is, it's, I feel like it's him. I feel like he has more interest. He never talks about being rich off this. I think he is more interested in what Jean Jacket actually is. He's on along for their ride for, to get them the perfect picture. Yes. He wants a picture of it too, but he doesn't seem as like, Oh my God. And then I, and then I'll be, he's like, this is like a once in a lifetime. This is a, a, a this is a phenomenon. He's he's more awestruck mm-hmm. by it, I think, than anybody else is. Hmm. He's genuinely like, this is I'm part this thing, this miracle. I'm that's part of something. Big. I'm part of it. Right. I got to mm-hmm. see it firsthand, um, which makes him probably like the most innocent, if I can use that word, in of all the cast. Like. Not the only good person, but genuinely the most, probably the most pure intention person, mm-hmm. I would say. He doesn't really have a, a motive in a way that's anything apart from kinship. <laughs> what seems like friendship and being part of like something else, something bigger than himself, mm-hmm. which is quite sweet. Like mm-hmm. he's willing to kind of stand back and not be in charge. There's no ego about him, really. Like, I don't know. There's something very nice about him. He kind of levels everybody else out because he's not trying to get anything. He's helpful. <laughs> he's just there being helpful and nice. <laughs> There's, it might be a little bit of a segue, but there, the film starts with a, with a quote from the Bible. And mm. I was reading a little bit and I wonder if, if you have also kind of in your diving after watching the film of the, the design or like the, the, the awe that Jean Jacket inspires. And, you know, mm. and, you know, we've both mentioned that Angel also, I think, not a coincidence that his name is yeah, Angel. Angel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is, I think, something slightly biblical about the film, mm. about the way that this. You can't look directly at. Yeah. You can't it's too look. too much yeah. to look at. Right. It's, it's too much. And when you do, you essentially, you get absorbed by it. You get eaten by it, which is the very mm. kind of, you know, alien, uh, sci-fi horror vibe of it. But actually, mm. when it does sort of unleash itself fully and kind of does the peacocking moment, even watch it in the cinema, I'm like, I've never seen something like this. And I was reading a couple of things mm. that it's, you know, is this a sort of more, you know, if if you choose to believe in the writings uh, of the Bible, like, is this something that's actually more of an accurate representation of something that we cannot fathom, we cannot see? We This is right. not the cherubs with the little wings. This is not like, you know, the, the like, the gorgeous people, like, gorgeous, like, blonde angels. That's a, like the way that they've been represented. Mm. It's like, no, this is something that re- demands awe and that you cannot really look at directly which in a way 
And I, I have been reading like about the fact that it was really stylistically sort of the design of uh, Jean Jacket was inspired by this anime, which I will say I have not seen because anime is a really mm. big um, like like yeah. vacuum for me. I haven't seen almost anything uh, <laughs> called Neon Genesis Evangelion. So perhaps anyone listening kind of has thoughts on that. But mm. there's also this thing about kind of the cosmic horror of it all, this Lovecraftian thing of you cannot look you cannot know this creature because it's like we simply cannot fathom it existing. It does not make sense. So if you yeah. look at it directly, it's just going to destroy you because it's too much for our brains to handle. Right. And is the camera like the only way to kind of look at it without going insane or without perishing? Well, it goes into like... So there's lots of stuff in the Bible about bibli- biblically accurate angels, which are too, which are uncom- incomprehensible to our mm-hmm. human brains, to our human mm-hmm. eyes. There's lots of stuff about if you saw the true face of God, you know, your head would explode. You do, you, you can't you can't fathom it. You actually can't hold it within you, like mm-hmm. to understand it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely a thing because I don't think we ever really see it fully. We see it from a distance, mm-hmm. Jean Jacket, mm-hmm. kind of the shape of it, but there's never like a real full. This is Jean Jacket. This is how it works. We don't really know mm-hmm. how it how exactly it unfolds, how exactly it works. Um, so I definitely think that's that's true. And there's also like you know probably ties into Greek myth, like looking at things in mirrors keeps you safe. Like mm-hmm. there's stuff like the basilisk and Medusa and mm-hmm. like reflections and if you look something directly in the eye that's where the danger is which obviously also comes from nature about like not looking animals in the eye not looking predators in the eye Mm. um uh, about being submissive about being like there's all these things that tie into it that tie into like yeah bible which i'm like also i'm sure comes from Mm. and some of it comes from like you know nature as well comes from things people know about in the natural world and i think there's a reason that you know certain animals or bird like butterflies and stuff have fake eyes mm-hmm. on there to scare predators off because if they think something's looking directly at them that could be seen as anti- something scary something antagonistic mm. um and there's there is all this eye imagery throughout the film so i do think that is that element of something so because the truth is if if aliens landed tomorrow we we as people don't deal actually very well with stuff that we don't understand that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. We are just like like our our brains like malfunction. So like if aliens landed tomorrow, even if it was right there, and you, unless I feel feel like they're they're having to deal with it, right? They are ha- at that point when they're seeing the full unfurling of Jean Jacket, they are having to deal make decisions quite quickly at that point because someone's about to get eaten, right? Mm-hmm. If they were, could have just sat and looked at it, like, I don't know what their reactions would be. It had to be that quick. They couldn't really think. They could have time to sit and just, like, stare at it and really take it in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only way they could get through that moment in time. Because if aliens land tomorrow, I don't think our brains just really could – our brains can barely make sense of actually what we – we don't even see things, how they actually are correctly our brain corrects it so that we feel okay about things like do you mean like literally that's how we view the world anyway mm-hmm. with normal stuff we're used to seeing <laughs> it's still like a little correct it's not really exactly how and then you know it's how when we capture stuff like people when they hear their voices on 
a voice machine or something and they're just like a voice recorder and it's like oh that's what I sound like or they see themselves on camera for the first time and it's like what why do I do that with my like I didn't know I did that with my body I didn't know I held myself and there is this idea of like film being like a thing that's true right mm-hmm. I they've that's not human eye that's not mm-hmm. a brain correcting something that is a, something that's been captured in its true form mm-hmm. um so I think there is a thing of like that is the only way to really look at it because if you were just sitting there it would just be like what like <laughs> you'd be doing too many things in your brain like you don't have the time to like really I don't know think about it and that's why with animals like when people have like Jane Goodall and stuff like that they've had to spend fucking ages sitting in a place and watching an animal if it's alive and being part of that world because that's the only really way and even then the stuff you don't understand the stuff you don't know because you're not one of them that's the reason we dissect dead things because that's a way for us to try and understand that's why in so many alien other movies like other alien movies it's you know the, the goal is to get one to dissect it because the idea of keeping it alive and learning it about it that way is incomprehensible to us. We're like, no, we'll mm. kill it. <laughs> and then we'll open it up and then I'll be fine. Um, because the the, uh, the thought behind what if we just try and like watch it and observe it or like, and let it live its life and be and like, see what that's like is just too terrifying. Um, so I think, and I, again, again, like Jordan Pearl doesn't do anything by accident. So I think the Bible verses, think angel's name, I think that it looks kind of angelic, like, you know, like mm-hmm. a, like almost like a biblically accurate angel. Like, I think, you know, none of it's by accident. It mm-hmm. all ties in mm-hmm. to what we, even what we mean by not of this world. Mm-hmm. Like that could mean, it doesn't necessarily mean from space, you know, it could be something else. Um, even not of this world. Like we would say that dinosaurs are not of this world. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? They're not of our time. They're yeah. not of the world that exists right now. So if this, say if this thing was like asleep in a glacier that has like now, that's always been of this planet, but never been, I mean, it's like, there's all these things that we actually don't know mm-hmm. and that are too big to comprehend. Like we, I can't comprehend time <laughs> in a real, <laughs> like when I think about like when someone explains to me how long ago something else, I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I can't, you can't I don't understand. conceive it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. And like when someone explains spe- how big space is, how many earths fit inside the sun, it's like, okay, cool. I don't have yeah. a concept of how big the world even is realistically. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a concept of how big our actual planet we live on. Cause I live on this tiny little bit of it. Um, so it's like, yeah, there's lots of things in our actual natural world that are incomprehensible to us. And there's so many, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm going to leave this recording with like a shit ton more questions that I even went into with, into it with, which I think is like a marker of a very, very, like yeah. an endlessly rewatchable film and a really fascinating film and something that again, I just, I just don't think that blockbuster is the right word. No. I just, it feels too small for Jordan Peele. It's a spectacle. It's an aura yes. spite. It's a spectacle. Yes. It's a monster movie spectacle it's a sci-fi monster movie spectacle put it on the poster put it on the poster (laughs) slab it on the poster right up next to my p statement but yeah it's it's that's what it is and like like i keep going back to like you know the image of king kong being tied up on the stage with the flashing lights and like that's Mm -hmm. essentially what it is 
it's the new version yes. of that. That's what it is. And he's clever enough to make it to, to for taking me a few days to even get to that point to figure mm. that out. That's how clever it is. It's not just a direct like, oh, I've done something this yep. book with an alien. It's smarter than that. But that's essentially what it is. It's King Kong with smartphones <laughs> and aliens. Oh my God. She just keeps on giving us singers. Just put it all on the posters. Isara, can you, is there anything that we you feel like we haven't covered that you wanted to touch upon in this about this film i don't i don't think so i think again we'll probably like get off this call and they'll be like i'll be like oh yeah nothing um i think we've covered all the major points you talked about gordy you talked about the fake aliens that were ended up being dupes kids we've talked about the real woman who like got attacked by the 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 chimp um who the woman in the film is based on I just think um Oh, there is one thing. Yes. Kiki being a final girl. <gasps> you know how I love a final girl. Yes. And she's a sneaky little final girl because you don't realize because because she's not the only one alive, mm-hmm. but she is the one who does the big heroic run at the end. She is the one who eventually gets the monster, gets the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her and the film finishes on her face mm-hmm. and so do you think and, and I kind of want to give a little bit of context for the listener this comes mm. from uh, that I put this question in the in the notes that I shared with you it comes from a Kiki Palmer Jordan Peele interview in JQ magazine I mm. can link to it in the show notes but there was this thing that really stood out to me that I just copy and pasted over it's like she is like of a action horror final girl and i had not thought of her in that way at all because she's not mm. the only one left alive because she's it's not a horror movie it's not it's following that formula but then it's a lot of these other things where i'm like okay but a final girl is it really is it doing that on purpose do you think she's a final girl i do i think so i think it's not a final girl in the traditional sense um i think you know, she's not the only one who's battled it out till the morning and survived. But like, I think it's set up that it's going to be Daniel Kalia who figures this out. Who who's the hero in the end, right? Mm-hmm. And he has his big heroes run on the horse. He's a big moment. He's going to distract Jean Jacket while his sister gets away. It's all set up to have him be the hero, mm-hmm. and then he lets go of control. And he's like, actually, it's her. Mm-hmm. She knows she doesn't. This is not the best ending. Like, mm-hmm. this is not the best ending. That I I run off into the sunset and take Jean Jacket away, and my sister gets away, and that's that's. He does a thing where he like points his eyes and points to her, like he sees her, right? And there's that goes back to that moment she talks about Jean Jacket, the horse she couldn't train. She's like, Dad never looked up at me. I was at the window watching you train Jean Jacket, my horse. Dad never looked up at me, but you, you saw me, right? Mm-hmm. And in this moment, she needs him to see her, but not only see her, but to let her be in control of the situation. And she gets to finish it. Really, this was her idea. And now she gets to finish it on her own. Um, she is actually incredibly capable. And it's the first time she's been allowed to be or being seen because she is like she says she's like a jester and a hero. Like, she is funny. She is this wild card, whatever. But she also gets to do this thing. She's also probably the only person who could ride that motorbike in that situation and figure out what to do and then think to use the winking well, right? 
Um, so I think it's kind of handed to her as like, you, you get to finish this story. Actually, this is all for, again, for the reason you didn't get to train Jean Jacket, you get to finish this Jean Jacket story. And, um, you know, it's not an accident. We don't, once she gets to, oh, he does turn up at the end on it, on his horse right he's like the guy who turns up at the end on horse but it's her she's about to face like the cameras are arriving whatever and it's her she's she's done it and she can like it's her moment really and he's come to make sure she's okay but she did it on her own Mm -hmm. he wasn't some hand of god he didn't come in to help her at the last minute he's there afterwards like on his horse like i don't know as like uh, I, i don't know like a if it was a romantic story, like her reward for like, you know, he's her brother, mm-hmm. he's alive. They're both alive, which if given his choice, if he was the hero, that wouldn't have happened probably. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I think she is like, I think she counts as a final girl because even though everyone didn't die, I think it's, it's her that gets the thing. It's her that gets the picture. It's her that finishes the story. Um, and because yeah, Angel's still alive. That like um, OJ's still alive, mm-hmm. but neither of them could do it. She could, um, in the same way, I guess that like, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween films. Not everybody dies necessarily in those films. Like everyone, like, but she's the. She, it's going to be her, right? <laughs> that finishes the story. That's why she's the final girl. It's going to be her that has to end that has to end Michael. And I think in the same way, like that character is a final girl. So is Kiki Mm -hmm. Palmer in this. Um, And I think Jordan Peele is really good about, like I've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. He's really good at focusing on letting this unlikely person, only unlikely, yes, because of her character in this particular thing, but because it's just unlikely to have a black woman often the time, like be that person Mm -hmm. to make the right decision, Mm -hmm. to be grounded, to be smart, to be resourceful. You know, and we're seeing it now with the Prey movie, right? Mm-hmm. The the new Predator movie, where lots of like film bros are just like, oh, how did she beat Predator when you know these tr- trained army men couldn't? It's like, well, you missed you missed the point. <laughs> it's like, oh, the woman who's in touch with nature, like Predator is, the woman who's resourceful, like Predator is, like, and it's like you missed the point of the first one that most of them died, apart from when Arnold Schwarzenegger finally actually like started using his brain rather than his machismo. Um, like and so you know there's all these people that don't want to see just somehow they can't believe that this this would be the person to do it and especially mm-hmm. when daniel Kinnear, the whole film is really set up as that guy mm-hmm. the grounded mm-hmm. smart animal wrangler who knows what he's talking about who figures it all a lot, a lot of the stuff what this is about and like he's going to be the hero and i love that it's just handed to kiki mm-hmm. because actually she's fought for it and she deserves it um and I think Jordan Peele's very smart for doing that. He just knows how to, unlike a lot of male auteurs or film, like writer, directors, he's very good at writing women, mm-hmm. at writing complicated, interesting, real feeling female characters. And that's exactly what this is. And that's why it feels really satisfying that it's her at the end. Mm. I feel yeah. like it feels like a good moment to end on, to end on Kiki, to end on Emerald actually yeah. winning the the final moment having that final triumph and mm. you know having her face be the final shot of the film like and also mm. it feels like you know without getting too much into the behind uh the outside of what we see on the screen like it feels like Kiki Palmer's moment as well like it almost yeah 
you know, in a in a slightly poetic way, like feels like the film is being handed to her as well. Like she's such yeah. a powerhouse performer. Like she's, she's a star. She is a and star. It's, it's ludicrous that she hasn't had bigger roles before. Because I mean, she's been. Yeah. She, I mean, she's key, key, keeper, fucking bag, Palmer. Right? She's never not working. But like yeah. the fact that she isn't this massive deal because I'm like she's like effervescent. Mm-hmm. She is charm personified. Like she literally is just always what you're watching if she's on screen she's um, undeniable yeah. the minute yeah. she pops up you're like where's she gone i want to see more of her why is she yeah. why is she not center stage all the time and right. she kind of she becomes center stage as the film kind of grows and continues and it feels in a way like even jordan peele are handing her is handing her the film by the end it's like no actually you're you're the main character. You're the main yeah. character of the story. I mean, that's yeah. not to diminish Stephen Young's performance or Daniel Kaluuya's performance, but like they, I think Daniel Kaluuya is also a very generous performer who will gladly like step away from yeah. the spotlight because that's that's what his character actually would do, and that's yeah. what the story demands, and that's also what feels like a. Almost like, you know, as he is, and Jordan Peele said that he wrote this role for him, like he's his go-to guy, mm. and that creative partnership is undeniable. But then, like, it doesn't feel insecure, it doesn't feel like he needs to be in every single frame of the film or in this, you know, um, in a close-up all the time. It's like, no, it's it's her moment now in the film yeah. and kind of as a, when this film comes out and, like, all the pieces and the profiles and the interviews come out, it's like, why have we all been sleeping on Kiki Palmer. Like she's always been there. She's always been undeniable. That's why she's so memeable. Like there's so many memes, but she's so funny. She's so naturally funny um, yes. and good at what she's doing. She's a natural entertainer. And it's just like, that's also part of like the cast. It's like Duke wants desperately to be an entertainer, but he's not as natural with it. Like uh, OJ doesn't want to be in the spotlight at all, but is being forced into like a role. Mm-hmm. That's like not something he wants to do. Um, Angel just wants to be along for the ride um atlas wants the glory from behind the camera but she is a net she is what we're watching she's Mm. the spectacle she's Mm. like i can literally turn it on at any point i can literally like you said at the beginning arrive late and then give this perfect speech be just like everyone wants to know you everyone wants to talk to you you're fun to be around like you know she's always playing music she has a funny story she's like she's that person she's always who you're looking at um and so she's like the focal point of the whole story. Like, really, mm-hmm. she's what draws your eye, which is what the whole thing is about. Like, what are we looking at? Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> Kiki Palmer. Um, but yeah, love it. Isara, just thank you for thank these you. two and a half hours of your time. <laughs> two and a half hours of your time and your incredible insight as always um if people aren't following you yet where can they find more of your work online you can follow me at isara underscore bb on twitter you can follow me at isara saras on instagram um on both of those is a link tree to writing i've done you can find someone writing on the final girls website um there's something out for den of geek at the moment i think um and lots of other places but it's all on Linktree on one of those places that's where you'll find me amazing thank you so much thank you